No, I work. That's why I've tried to stay off Twitter, and I'm like, I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> like for the last hour, I've literally been sitting here rocking back and forth. Like, I didn't think it would take this long. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't think it would take this long. You you realize who our guests are, right? Hey guys, welcome back to Melissa, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom and the characters. I am Miss Snowfox. And I am Zan Credible. And today we are doing the long-awaited and humiliatingly late um, fan art part two episode which originally was recorded and uh, thrown into the garbage because it had technical difficulties and so we are back with the two wonderful guests that we had then to conclude our discussion about all things fan art whether it's Merlin fandom or just in general so we have Amphigori yeah it's great to be back thanks hello and Altocello hello thank you for having me yeah. back uh yeah so it's really great to have them back with us we love having these two on the podcast with us to talk about all of the things but before we get into the fan art part of the episode we have talkbacks as usual so we have another talkback uh based on our race and racism episode uh this time by Anne, who as you guys know is frequent commenter and also has guested on the podcast a couple of times and this is what she had to say thank you so much for doing this episode i especially appreciated the discussion about fandom slash online communities in the second half and i'm glad the articles are of some help i second alex on wanting Gemma Chan to be a recasted reboot of Merlin, even as a guest character. Although Gemma as Gwen would be amazing, assuming Angel won't be reprising her role. I don't know about the kooky slash comedic bits, but she would be an amazing queen. Do I know Gemma Chan? I don't think you've... Uh, she has been a regular character in Humans, which ah. I'm assuming you haven't seen, no. <laughs> even though it's a Colin TV show. It's got gory bits, I think. Did you by chance happen to watch Captain Marvel? Yes. Because she was in Captain Marvel. She's one of the Kree warriors. Oh, okay. It's hard to tell because she's underneath a whole bunch yeah, of exactly. makeup. You know? She's like and a completely she... different color, but that's but Gemma Chan's in there. So you okay, should cool. she also has excuse a... to rewatch it. There you go. Yeah, definitely. She also has a cameo in one of the Fantastic Beast movies. Oh, okay, cool. Um... I don't remember which one probably the first but she's uh she's like a side character like a background character i don't even think she has lines i'm not sure i just i just saw her, i was like hey Gemma. okay cool um and then Anne continues to say i've shared this before but i wanted to mention ebony elizabeth taylor's the dark fantastic because one it discusses race and racism in storytelling and fandom especially of black female characters and two she has a whole chapter on bbc's merlin's gwen in that specific chapter she discusses implications of how gwen is portrayed using a literary cycle that mirrors social slash physical violence against dark-skinned people in the real world and fan responses on a black woman being cast as gwen I couldn't summarize the whole thing here, but based on what you guys discussed in the episode, some really interesting points E.E. E. Thomas makes are how hesitation towards Gwen's likability and beauty may have been to do with the racial tensions and traditional representations of what a quote-unquote beautiful woman is. Uh, should we pause there just to kind of discuss that briefly and then I'll continue the rest because it's a long point. <laughs> um, I, ha I, ha I had no idea that this book existed, so I'm uh, really excited to maybe pick it up at some point because a chapter on BBC's Merlin absolutely I'm very excited about that um, yeah I feel like racial tensions in the UK just in general were probably 
I mean, they're very different than they are in the US. I feel like there are a lot there are a lot of people in the UK, um, even black people in the UK that I know that say there's no issue here <laughs> like genuinely which like i can kind of see why they would say that because there's no gun violence there's not as much of a problem with incarceration and stuff but i mean the statistics just don't back that up at all so i think it is kind of like a case-by-case basis like if it hasn't necessarily touched you you don't you know you don't think it's a problem right which i think is kind of the way most people approach a lot of different issues we still have that same issue in, in the United States, too. But, but we're, we've yeah. been told, because it's true, I want to point out <laughs> that we have a problem with racism, right? So that's pretty much on the table. What, speaking from my experience living as an expat in the Netherlands for a year, the, Europe also has a problem. And oh, Europe oh, yeah. is very much in denial of, about it. Oh, very, yeah. But where do you think we got the idea it's I mean, it's honestly it's ridiculous living in germany which as everybody who has ever not lived under a rock for their entire life knows has a history of being racist to the point of you know world war right <laughs> uh it's it's ridiculous how much in denial the people are in this country about racism now it's... And that's, I think, the biggest thing you have to overcome. It's the same thing with being any kind of addict. You have to admit you have a problem before you yeah. can do anything about it. And yeah. getting people to admit that they are complicit and in perpetuating it is honestly the hardest part. And it's hard to acknowledge that you want to be a good person and you don't want to be racist and yet you are. That's really, oh, really yeah. hard. So I yeah. get it. But it's work that has to be done. And the first thing you have to do is admit you have a problem. I mean, it's yeah. so it's it's good that I think we're having a lot of these conversations finally. Yeah, absolutely. And, but yeah. I think that a, a huge problem that I at least see in the UK, and I don't know if this is true in the States. I don't know if this is true in Germany, but it's it's a problem that comes also between you know, um, people within a certain minority also disagreeing, which I mean, I've constantly said this about the queer community, like, you know, I, we need to stop fighting amongst each other and actually, like, get things done as a group, because obviously not everyone is going to agree, because just because you're one type of thing, it doesn't mean that you're the same. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily help when people have such differing views on the same issue that then, allies find it difficult to understand what they're supposed to do like I've got people that I've worked with who you know are black and have come from like the Caribbean and stuff and absolutely agree there's a racial problem in the UK that they feel treated differently when they've like served tables that they feel uh, and this was a woman as well so specifically as a black woman she felt very kind of you know that she came across as more bossy you know all that kind of stereotype especially in the UK um and that you know i have other friends who say like oh i'm so glad when people you know don't treat me like i'm black like they just kind of treat me like whatever you know because we don't have a problem here we're all equal so i think that also contributes sometimes to not necessarily tensions but confusions because then you have people who will 
know a certain group of people and subscribe to their beliefs because they know them personally and then you'll have other people who know different people and have different views and at the end of the day you only really know what you know right and you know the people that you speak to and so if you have black friends who say oh no there isn't a problem in the UK or there isn't a problem here then you're not you know it's not like you're going to go against what they're saying because you know you're not black so what do you know and it's kind of I think that also contributes to it and it's a I think it's a really tricky gray area that not a lot of people talk about where it's like well what happens yeah when people don't agree and then who do you turn to 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 know what the right thing to do or say is and I think that that can happen a lot these days I think I think you touched on a on a very important point there that um when POC or uh uh VPOC tell you that uh they don't see a problem they don't have a problem they they don't feel uh like they're being discriminated uh based on where they come from the color of their skin then of course you as their friend uh you're inclined to believe them and of course other people who uh try to argue that racism doesn't exist anymore they will use these people yeah. these uh BPOC as uh as a sort of gotcha like mm-hmm. you tell them we have a racism problem a global racism problem but especially like in in the western world uh like in europe and and the us and canada probably as well uh we have a racism problem and then there are people who are like gotcha uh i know this one black person <laughs> and they say they don't think they're being discriminated because they're black and you're just like okay that's that's your one that's your one black person that you know <laughs> well and that's, know. and that's it it's it's you when someone tells you what their experience is you should believe that yeah and that's yeah, so not to invalidate that person's experience no. that's great they haven't yeah. seen it it does not mean it doesn't exactly. exist for other people exactly. also also and uh this is also a critical point is um not to invalidate what this one person uh this one uh poc might have said how they feel in the society but you also have to acknowledge that with like everything else like misogyny uh queerphobia any time any type of ism basically um a lot of the shit is internalized yes and also you just to the point where you don't even know that it's a problem for you like i went through the first half of my life, not uh, when I still, you know, uh, lived and presented as a woman and thought <laughs> I was a woman, you know, uh, I didn't think that I was being discriminated against based on my assumed gender. And it took a while for me to realize that, no, actually, I am being discriminated against. And even if the discrimination isn't directly against mm. me, yeah. it is against women at large so even if i don't feel um if if people aren't being misogynistic to me personally i can still see that people are being misogynistic in general yeah 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 exactly and i think that's a huge distinction to make because like you you know i've i've never felt discriminated against uh, for being bi i've never really felt biphobia everybody that knows i'm bi doesn't treat me any differently for it 
has never treated me differently if they see me kissing a girl or talking about girls not that I really do because I don't really talk about anyone these days <laughs> but it's like you know no one's really ha- like had a problem with that in fact most people that I've kind of t- uh, well at least in the UK again this is just my experience living in this country but any co-workers that I've ever had that knew I was bi just went oh yeah I can kind of see it <laughs> they basically that was the they, they were like yeah you've got like a thing about you I was like cool <laughs> thanks um yeah exactly you just got vibe man I was like yeah cool um but yeah you know uh that is not everybody's experience and I think that it's important to acknowledge that and I think also then but then you know you kind of have that feeling of oh well I haven't suffered enough you know like there's always that part of it as well it's like well I can't really be something if I haven't suffered for being it you know and that's also ridiculous you know that we have to feel that way you know that we haven't kind of paid our dues for being kicked and spat on you know but I think that that is important to recognize that you know I'm lucky even though I shouldn't say that I'm lucky but I'm lucky that I've never had those experiences I'm lucky that I very rarely have felt any kind of direct impact of sexism direct on on myself um but it does exist and I think that just because I yeah just because I haven't felt it doesn't mean that you know queer people or women haven't felt that it just so happens that I haven't for whatever reason you know um I don't know why but that's just how it's been in my life and I think that it's important to recognize that and it can be difficult if yeah people that you know say that well because it hasn't happened to me it doesn't happen to anyone no not really (laughs) not really the same thing but um I'll carry on with the comment because I realize we just kind of stopped there um okay So Anne continues to say, uh, Rox also mentioned how she feels uncomfortable whenever the show breaks quote-unquote universe canon rules with a scene that almost forces the audience to view Gwen as being a certain way, uh, aka queen-like or the quote-unquote strong female character, potential love interest, etc. And something that Thomas said struck with me. They said, even with quote-unquote colorblind casting, which being a POC slash minority ethnicity I personally appreciate to a certain extent, There are problems that arise when the fictional world does not acknowledge the social, cultural and personal etc. elements of a person or character that race can bring. That is basically rejecting what what the reality is like to these people and denying them full complexity and representation, which gets especially tricky in fantasy settings. That's really interesting. Yes, I have something to say about this. Yeah, go for it. Um, Because I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, with some friends of mine, some of which are POC, and um, we didn't talk about Merlin specifically. We talked about Grey's Anatomy, which I've been uh, binging these last couple of weeks. And uh, Grey's Anatomy, for those uh, who don't know, is a medical drama that has been running for about a million years. It's now on season 17. And uh, it is written and produced by, or it's produced by Shonda Rhimes, who is a black woman and it's uh part of the producers and writers also uh poc black um asian american and i'm sure other um ethnicities as well and it's uh it really and there's a pretty diverse cast especially in the first uh season you have several black characters and uh, one Asian American character and all of the black characters are in positions of power they are all bosses or superiors or are the best in their medical field something like that and this really I mean I love that 
seeing this kind of representation. But what I noticed is that, especially in the early seasons of this show, like the first three, four, five seasons, uh, it's never talked about how these characters experience or experienced in the past racism or how uh, one of the black women uh, or even the Asian American uh, woman experience uh, heightened misogyny based on not being white. So just the show kind of pretended like racism didn't exist, but one of the characters is also has the nickname, the Nazi, which um, I know, especially in the early 2000s when this show started, um, was relatively common. Like people would be called uh, grammar, grammar Nazi if they were very particular about uh, spelling and uh, using correct grammar all the time, they would be called a grammar Nazi. Uh, we had the infamous uh, feminazi uh, term. And so one of these characters, because uh, she's very strict and has very high expectations and will make you suffer if you don't follow uh, what she says, she has the nickname, the Nazi. She is a black woman. And so the show very much acknowledges that racism and the Holocaust exist in this world because it's a real world setting. Uh, it references Obama in later uh, seasons. It implies Trump in the more recent seasons as well. It doesn't ever mention him, but we know that that's what, who they're talking about. And so racism is sort of, it like the show doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist while also pretending that it doesn't exist because it never comes up. There is never any talk about uh, how these characters, these black characters, uh, face any any kind of adversity in their career, and they're now at the top of their fields. They're, like I said, they're all in positions of power, and they uh, they are the best. And they had to overcome uh, a lot of hurdles, but these are never mentioned until like season, I think six or seven. So the late like two thousand tens, roughly, is when this is when they started when they started introducing actual racism into the show and I found this very interesting because it at some point I just realized that this is what was happening I was so used to seeing storylines about black characters where racism was also part of their story that it really it became really obvious when for so long racism wasn't part of the story of these black characters and I have very mixed feelings about this and I'm a white person uh, because I'm like I want people to understand that it's not actually that easy, quote unquote, easy for black characters to reach the point or to, for black people to reach the point in the career that these characters have. But at the same time, it's kind of refreshing that, you know, it's just accepted that these characters got to where they are based on their skill and nothing else. And then my POC friends were like, yeah, no, this, this is how we see this. Like, it's nice that, you know, it's not about, whoa, me, I had to overcome racism to, to get to the point where I am. And they felt better about it because they figured out, like they did some research and they were like, well, this show is written by black people, by uh, Asian people, by POC, BPOC um, from all backgrounds. So they were like, they made a deliberate choice. Clearly it wasn't just white people being ignorant these POC made a deliberate choice 
which I think is probably not the case in BBC Merlin. No, it's I don't think <laughs> it is uh, the case in BBC Merlin. But it's an interesting point because yeah, it's kind of it's almost like a a ut- I don't use the word utopian like super genuinely because I know that it like it does mean a different thing than what I'm using it for here. But it's this kind of utopian idea of this is how things should be, but it's not like you know some kind of futuristic society or you know there's a book called um red white and royal blue that's about um it's uh the fictional story of the heir of the english throne falling in love with the son of the current female president and it was it's not actually the heir of the throne is it not the heir of the throne no he's a younger brother oh younger brother okay i i haven't actually read it i just know what it's about but he's um, basically prince harry just fictional prince harry um and uh yeah so basically uh, like i've I've seen some people who feel really comforted by this kind of book, but then other people who have been like, this is a bit, this actually makes me sad because it's so close to reality and yet it's portraying a reality better than our own, but it shouldn't be a fantasy. This should just be normal. Basically, you know, that women can be presidents, that uh, elections can be run on issues and not, you know, drama that, you know, too dudes can have a relationship with no kind of issues whatsoever and that kind of stuff should just be part and parcel just like black people getting to the top of their careers should be part and parcel with whatever they I mean do. to be fair in that book and that book it very much is a big deal that a woman became president mm-hmm. and that her son is uh into men Not and that the that one of the royal princes royal princes obviously he's a he's yeah. royal when he's a prince uh one of the princes is also gay like this is very much uh in the story it is a problem and that is why it's such a big deal oh, okay. spoiler for people who haven't read the book yet sorry but it's they get out I mean- <laughs> and so and so that's that's it is a big deal okay. in the book it's just you know it's it all ends happily and everyone is fine in the end mm-hmm. basically okay. um okay. which is probably where the fiction comes in because in reality it probably wouldn't go over as smoothly as it does in the book but it's very much still an issue in the book yeah yeah okay fair enough but um but yeah i i agree with you it is a really interesting take and i think specifically with the fantasy settings which is what Anne is talking about here i think it depends because uh, mm, mm, i'm trying to find the right way to say this ah okay i no. it's just because i'm trying to right i think if you have a fantastical setting that's clearly kind of based on real world you know logic and rules where like sort of like in Grey's Anatomy where certain types of racism exist but not others and then you have black people in your movie or your show and they're not treated any differently then yeah you it, it is kind of ignoring the elephant in the room and if it's written by white people then it's also just a bit weird to do that but i think that you know if you have a book or a TV show or a world that you've built from scratch that is sort of inspired by certain countries, but it's basically just completely, you know, it's just a map with lines on it. And you're making a diverse world because the world is diverse. So your world should be diverse too. I don't necessarily know if it's, you know, fair to say, well, you know, our world is broken. And even though, you know racism exists because human beings have the tendency for evil and otherism in them you know i want to create a a universe in which yeah 
otherism does exist but just not this kind because we deserve to see that too you know so I feel like that's also kind of valid in a fantastical sense obviously it becomes a bit more difficult if you're writing about the real world like Grey's yeah. Anatomy is you know I, I think honestly a- I I would have been totally fine like I wouldn't even have questioned it to this degree in Grey's Anatomy if they didn't very clearly in the very first episode reference the holocaust yeah. with this nickname the nazi yeah, which comes yeah. from obvious mm-hmm. fascism in history so like if that hadn't if that hadn't been there if, if she had had another uh nickname where they just called her i don't know the bully for example yeah, 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 yeah. um i wouldn't even have noticed you know or or if i had noticed i wouldn't have questioned it because clearly even though it is sort of real world adjacent with the setting, because it's set in Seattle, mm. uh, modern day Seattle, um, uh, it wouldn't have been an issue because it was like, well, this is this is an AU, this is a mirror world in which you know racism they truly overcame racism, or or racism was never an issue to the point that it was in our history and is in our in our current uh, society. But because they reference that, and then in uh, later seasons, they also reference um, 9-11 and other events. I'm just like, well, <laughs> they try. I think what happened is they tried to make it uh, not about racism at all. Like they tried, they tried to keep racism out of it. But then racism in the real world became a much more obvious and bigger problem right. again yeah and so they felt because you can tell season 14 is uh the season that was uh, written and produced right after trump won the election in 2016 uh this is when season 14 came out and season 14 pulls out all the stops they talk about all kinds of topics they cover um police brutality uh racism in general they cover domestic abuse they cover um all kinds of of thing of topics that are relevant to um the trump presidency basically and how fucked up shit got uh there and how fucked up shit was going to get very soon uh so they clearly uh in later seasons were like no we have to make a statement we have to uh pick a pick a side and make our stance clear here and they just felt they didn't have to in the early 2000s because they were like well our society is at a base level of racism where we can pretend like it doesn't exist yeah at the moment, it was a different at least in a fictional tv yeah, show yeah. so Anne finishes off her comment by saying anyways this is always a fascinating and important topic it's super complex as you all have said uh, so i don't think conversations will end soon but it's cool that we've started one here and i'm really glad that you think so because it was one that we always have when it is relevant, but considering what was happening, you know, in the world earlier this year, we felt it was just kind of really important to make a specific space to talk about it in detail. And yeah, I'm glad that people have responded well to it and have some really interesting things to say. Uh, and then also, Anne later on talks about um, a, a completely separate topic concerning women in power in Merlin, comparing them to uh, women in, in ancient Greece. But because it's not completely relevant to the original point and it's very long, uh, you guys can go and read that on our website under the actual um episode url and just have a look at that for yourselves because i feel like we will go off on a very long tangent otherwise but uh thank you so much Anne, for uh leaving that really lovely comment um 
Cool. Uh, so if you also want us to react to your comment on the podcast, then you need to go and do so at melissa.prakaproductions.com and leave your comment there. And we don't necessarily react to every single one. If they are things we've talked about in the past, we, we might skip it, but we do react to pretty much most of them. So if you want it to be read out and discussed, then please leave your comment there. If you just want to leave us a comment and don't really care if we read it out or not, you just want to talk to us, then you can go to our Tumblr or our Twitter where you can get in touch there. We're just Melissa in those places. You can send us an email and we'll send you one back. And the email address is melissa.podcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review or rating on iTunes where we are also just Melissa. You can talk to us in Discord where we have a really awesome channel for episode reactions and tangents and all sorts of fun things. We've got posts and listeners and uh guests in there so yeah you should absolutely come and join if you want to talk to us about anything melissa or merlin related the link to that is in just all of our social media channels um um we also have a ko-fi account where we are accepting donations still for black lives matter charities in the uk so if you want to support black lives matter and do it through your love of merlin then you can go and do that there and every so often we basically take like a, a a lump sum of money and donate it to a charity of our choice so you can go and do that over there uh, and then finally, if you want to play along with us, we have a Melissa bingo with lots of fun cards of repetition. So you can go and do that. Ask for the cards from either myself or Alex and we will give them to you. And that's all the places where you can talk to us. And now Woo! we can talk about fan art. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah. last time for those who don't remember because... Last time last on Melissa. <laughs> last in January... 2020 on Melissen, which in COVID time was about 5,000 years ago, uh, we talked about what kind of resources artists use, where and when to post artwork, where to host your artwork. And then we also had a whole long list of grievances and pet peeves to do with uh, fan art, like people stealing art, uh, authors dropping out of collaborative projects and so on and so forth if you like me forgot all about what we said in that episode go back and listen to it again as i did and today we're going to talk about more stuff to do with fan art so we talked about uh where if you're an artist you're going to post your art where you're going to host your art but if you're a fan who wants to see some art where do you go? Twitter. <laughs> well, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I I made a list. Um, this keep me sane. But um, yeah, Twitter was first on the list. Second on the list was Tumblr. Um, DeviantArt, although not as much these days. Um, Live Journal or Dreamwidth, people still post occasionally to there. Pillowfort is the big new kid on campus. Um, it's still pretty quiet though, but honestly, the biggest one, um, AO3, for those of us very rare fan artists who actually post AO3, we already had the pet peeve about them not hosting images, so I don't have, don't have to refresh that one. But for me, yeah, the, we, the number yeah. one place that I end up finding all different kinds of art is mostly Tumblr. I mean, gift sets and manips and paintings and all that stuff. That's Tumblr's just super easy in terms of um, visuals. It's really hard to find anything though. I what about you, Anne? It depends on your fandom, though, doesn't it? Like, is Merlin fandom still pretty active on Tumblr? I still see a fair bit go by. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the voice so from the background. <laughs> well, I I literally just discovered like three new artists the other day. 
on there. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. So so it's still good. It's still producing. You know, yeah. This this fandom doesn't die. <laughs> no, yeah. no. I meant like in terms of the channel. In terms of the channel, because obviously the fandom doesn't die, but it might get kicked out because of a porn ban, which is basically what happened to Tumblr. People which were like, I'm Pillowfort gone, doesn't have. You can post your porn to Pillowfort. That's right. For now, anyway. Yeah, For there's now. that stupid. You can also. Bill you can also post it to to Twitter, definitely. Yeah, and and people do. I mean, it's interesting to see what folks do to get around that. So, I, <laughs> yeah. um, having fallen into a different fandom this year, um, it's it's been interesting to see how folks get around that. But basically, they'll post a, a more more suitable for work version that doesn't violate the rules, and then have a link to their Patreon or whatever. Yeah. That's another yeah, place yeah, people. Yeah. But. Yeah, so you know they'll have a suitable for work version, and then the the really uh, NSFW one will be on Patreon or yeah. Twitter or something. The one that clearly I've noticed a lot of people plus. doing is they'll have like a cropped version yeah. that they'll put on Twitter, and then they'll and then they'll use a oh god, what's the website called? Privator or Pri- or something like that. It's basically like a a different image hosting site where you. Uh, need to you can either password protect the image which basically what people usually do is they put are you 18 yes slash no and then the password is yes um (laughs) and then uh or they will share it to followers only in which case you need to which is a that's a fucking cheeky way to do it as well i hate it when they do that because it's like don't force me to follow you now i might not do it just out of spite (laughs) it really great grinds my gears when they do that but those are the two ways that i normally see and a lot of fests actually on twitter demand that in the rules that if you are joining a generic fest or fan week and you have nsfw you have to do it this way now uh, to protect the minors like if there's like just a general and not just an nsfw one so that's yeah that's that's a huge change i feel like for for any kind of hosting never used to be like that you just could put anything you wanted on tumblr and that was the end of it yeah it, well and that was the big kind of impetus between behind pillowfort and why they changed their um and going from pillowfort.com or org or whatever it was to .io or from one to the other was that they, they realized that the other way around. Yeah. That, that they couldn't um, continue to do that. And that was a big part of what they didn't want to have to censor everybody's stuff. They're like, you guys, you know, you can do that. We make it possible for you to market so that the, the little people can't see it without basically violating the rules. And if they do that's on them. Um, And so that's which is nice... how it should be. Which is how it should be. It's exactly how it should be. And that's how it is on AO3. Like, well, it, that's, and that's honestly, that's how it would be on Tumblr too, except that what they did was they um, made an app. This is the thing that AO3 won't do. God bless AO3. Everyone keeps pushing them for an app in the iTunes store or wherever, and they won't do it. And the reason is because as soon as they do that, they are bound by the terms of service that go along with offering an app on those platforms. And one of them yeah. is that you have to make sure that that minors can't see porn. And they're like, well, we're a site that's entirely dedicated to the fact that anybody can make and produce and post whatever the fuck they want. So, <laughs> uh, okay, then how does Reddit get away with having an app? 
which it does and there's everything on there I and i have no it. idea how they do because because it's specifically in there that you are not allowed to you know it's the child pornography excuse yeah. right that maybe reddit somehow... is so huge that they can just get away with anything but there are i don't you know, know. many i mean reddit dedicated to reddit that. was able to get away with um like you can find a lot of things on reddit that are like bootleg copies of things and pirated uh, like uh, hockey games for example not that I ever used that no but you know, no obviously not allegedly. Um, they allegedly but, but but you I mean when you would google because that's what I did do I was trying to see if there was a legal way to watch uh, NHL games in Europe mm-hmm. that wouldn't involve paying 50 uh, bucks per month for a subscription to the NHL app um, I would uh, involuntarily find reddit and subreddits uh, where they would post that and I later heard through the grapevine that they had to shut down because someone finally figured out that they were doing this and were threatening them uh, so they had to shut down this subreddit this is what I heard mm. um yeah, so, you know, I'm assuming that, same with that, as long as nobody finds it, yeah, it might be enough. safe. Yeah, um, but I, anyway, Tumblr's action was based on the fact that they wanted to be able to market this app, right? And everyone yeah. had been clamoring for it, because their website is clunky, and it's hard to use on yeah. any kind of browser. And they, the thing is, they, they had the app long before they had the porn ban. Like, they had this the Tumblr app I, I think it was a, cho- a case of of the the app shop finally enforcing the rule like yeah. hey hi yeah. we have this rule you have to follow it but, yeah you know. but the thing is the Tumblr app was shit long before oh, this it's terrible. happened I know I and won't now, use it and now that's just like one more reason to hate the app <laughs> yeah and now now I won't I won't use it I just like Bleh, it's awful I, I'm gonna ask Anf if she had any tips for people to search for stuff because I can't ever find anything I mean basically what I end up doing is if I see something by an artist that I really like I'll go to their page and just start digging through the archive if they've got one right so uh, you know all of my work on my art tumblr is I've got an archive thing so that you could just go through and and scroll up and see whatever I've posted for the last few months and then find that find it that way um and that's really the best way I've found because using the tags it's the, the yeah well and the the algorithm for sorting them it's it's ugh, so it's just, impenetrable it's to me nothing it, i make ever shows up ever in any search ever <laughs> it's like that's be- that's because the search is just shit if you go by and that's what you what you get like if you type something into the search bar on tumblr then you can see in the URL, it will say tumblr.com slash search slash whatever you put in as a search term. But if you replace search with tagged, so that it says tumblr.com slash tagged slash, let's say, Martha, because ugh, you people like that. Uh, some people like that. So tagged slash Martha, then it will actually show you posts that have been tagged Martha in chronological order with the newest post at the top and scrolling down they get they get older um but not many people know this um, basically the only people who know this is uh, are people who have been on tumblr for long enough i don't right. even know how long several 
decades probably <laughs> well yes, I know, yeah, that. know that yeah but but a lot of people don't know that and um that's basically a hack a tumblr hack there right there for you if you go through uh slash tagged slash whatever it is you are looking for then you will see these but if you go by search then yeah the algorithm will just fuck you over because no matter how you how you sort it with like most recent most popular or whatever it's never going to show you everything it's just going to show you some things based on i don't know what well that that is a super frustrating thing the algorithm bit for any artist posting on any platform aside from one that does the chronological thing like twitter is especially goofy it's yeah Yeah. it's it's not a fun time i mean i genuinely don't if you were going oh sorry sorry, before you get into it emp was going to say something about tumblr because we actually asked emp (laughs) and then never let her answer (laughs) it's fine don't worry about me (laughs) shall i buy you a violin for christmas emp i'll be okay um yeah tumblr Yeah, the search is so broken in that because I literally looked at a post and tried to go back to find it using the exact phrasing in like the text part of the the post, put that up in the search and nothing would come up. Ah, what is this? So so frustrating. (laughs) If you put it into Google, it might come up. Oh, maybe. But um, I was going to say that in order, if you're looking for art, if you don't know the tags, um. Tumblr is very hard to find art. Yeah. And the same with Twitter. If you don't know the tags, you have a really hard time finding art. I found that like the only one that um, consistently gave me good results was DeviantArt. You could go up into the search function there and actually search. And yet I find tagging stuff on DeviantArt to be painful. <laughs> it's, it's very frustrating. Um, in that it constantly has suggestions and there's a bunch of things that it does not have and it's hard to get it to give you those things. The, they're this weird amalgamation between having actual freeform tags and not, um, which is frustrating. Yes, and the um, reason I can actually find new art on Tumblr is because of, I don't want to say decade, but like a long time of you know following certain blogs and Mm -hmm. you know making my little echo chamber of merlin (laughs) yeah yeah so that you know when new stuff comes in it does show up on my my dashboard well and another thing i'll do is if somebody sends something along and i like it i'll go to their page and see what else they've liked it's like a tree you just have to keep following it back right something i do on on tumblr is when I find an artist that I like, sometimes I find them through the Tumblr radar, sometimes I find them through reblogs on my dash from other people. Um, I will go to their Tumblr and I will go on a reblogging spree and just uh, reblog all of the things in their catalog that I like, which sometimes amounts to a lot of posts that I end up reblogging. So I have actually, my queue goes out by a system. It will always be like an art post, something else, art post, something else, art post. So like I reblog art at least three times a day from usually one art, like it, it, depending on how much art it is, like sometimes you will see this art from the same artist for like two weeks 
through my queue because they have just so much stuff for me to to reblog. So I hope that helps some people to find art as well. <laughs> um, yeah. I think for Tumblr artist, like if anybody is an artist and you have a Tumblr, something I really appreciate is when an art, uh, like if you go to somebody's Tumblr and on the sidebar, there's a like a little link that says click here for art by me. It's it's tagged. It's all their yes. art that's specially tagged. So you can just click it and get all the art that they've done and you don't have to sift through all the things that they've reblogged or yes. not like not what you're looking for kind of stuff. So this, or this if is they have literally a separate... where I have a side blog that's entirely yeah. art. That's, that's what too. I was gonna say. Like if you if you make a side blog just for your art, that's also that's great because I will follow that. If it's if your blog is full of of other stuff as well, I will not follow it. But if your blog is literally just art, I will follow that. Yep, that that's what I've got. It's literally pretty much one hundred percent Adam Driver at this point. So fair warning to anyone who goes and looks <laughs> me up. I, it's been a good year for me, like insanely good year for me, artistically speaking. And it's been shit, you know, pretty much in every other aspect for the world at large. But I've been lockdown's been good for me um yeah and it's pretty much all adam driver but it's all art I'll, you know <laughs> yeah i follow you on twitter and i see that that like you're doing a lot of of drawing so it makes me Lots. Really happy <laughs> yes um step yeah. on my neck you mountainous man <laughs> <laughs> i feel that just not for adam driver but i feel that in my soul so it's fine it's fine i'm <laughs> a hockey fan i feel this all the time um yeah, I find that I don't really search for. Okay, okay, that's a lie. I, I, I do search for. Art, I say quote unquote search as in type stuff into something and click enter, but it's just Google. <laughs> like I genuinely just Google a ship name and then I save it to my computer, and that's basically what I do because I don't trust that I'll ever find it again. So I just save it all and then I just keep it to my. Um, google driver i've got everything nicely separated by ship so if i ever just need some serotonin i just go in there and i just scroll 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 but um in terms of actually finding new artists what usually happens for me is um i find twitter all right actually for finding new artists because if you follow enough people that like the same ship as you stuff just surfaces eventually like you'll never find it again but you will find it and then you can follow the person yeah and Cult um, cultivating that following is yeah, the hard part and that's it's where new fans might have issues is just knowing yeah. who to follow absolutely and i think you know but that's just oh, but look if i'm honest with you i think that's the same with any part of fandom whether it's fic or like your first baby steps into a new fandom and knowing who to go to or what places to follow or where to be to get the things that you want is always going to be a very weird growing pains process and yep. you know that's just yep. you know the, it is the same way with fic it's the same way with discord servers you know you have to kiss a few frogs before you find one you actually like and then <laughs> that's fine you know but what i do find interesting about the fandom i'm currently in and i don't think this happens in merlin unfortunately but i assume it's a similar thing with like fests and stuff but um we have in the haiku fandom what are called like fan weeks and so I genuinely, like, guys, I'm not even kidding when I tell you that this year has been so insane and because the new season started in January of 2020, like, 
from the summer onwards, there has not been a single week that has not been dedicated to some kind of thing, whether it's like a character that had two lines, like they get a fan week all to their, all to themselves. And so you're basically like, there's a Twitter for it and you're encouraged to create fic and art. And that Twitter will uh, will retweet every single tweet uh, that gets posted under the hashtag, say, um, Haiku fan week uh, 2020, but just replace the word Haiku with any ship, any character sort of thing. And that has been really amazing for me personally to find new artists because, yeah, they just retweet everything. And so you might find people that don't have a large following, but actually you really enjoy their stuff. And then um, that's, yeah, that's been really great for me to find uh, new art. Um, and I assume it's, it's probably like a similar thing, you know, with different kinds of fests in Merlin fandom, although Merlin fandom isn't as active on Twitter, so I don't know how that works in terms of like reblogging or retweeting a specific hashtag for everybody to find it. Yeah, I wish we did that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's so fun. And it's so much more fun than like an organized event because there's no pressure and there's no deadline. Like I've dropped out of so many events and bangs because I just don't cope well under that kind of pressure. Like it just makes me really unhappy. So, but fan weeks are great because you just get a like there's a prompt every single day of the week um, and you get to pick and choose which prompts you want to do if you want to do all seven great if you want to mix and match that's also fine and they often like just retweet late entry so if you post something like two or three weeks later because you were busy they'll still retweet it and they'll add it to the AO3 collection it's like I mean this is Merlin Merlin fandom does this a little bit from what I remember so like you have like um Obviously, the bottom author author fest, which is mostly on Pillow Fort now because of it's not safe for work nature, but it still runs on Tumblr all the same. You'll just have to make sure that your post is uh, safe for work, and then you link to somewhere else. Um, I'm pretty sure that there were other. Um, there was a Kiss Fest a while ago. I don't remember if that ran again because I'm not keeping up with current events in the Merlin fandom. But like Merlin does this occasionally when someone feels like doing it, when someone feels like hosting this. And it's just like as low key as you described, Rox, with the Haiku fan yeah. weeks where you, you produce a content. Sometimes there will be prompts for certain days, yeah. but you don't have to stick to the prompt if yeah. you don't want. You can just do something else as well. And then you just post your stuff, you tag it or uh, a certain way, or you um, add the the main account where things will be reblogged, and then uh, it will reblog will be reblogged there, and they reblog all the stuff that is tagged with this special tag or that is um, that mentions the the main blog, Merthyr Kiss Fest or whatever, um, or Merlin Kiss Fest or whatever it was called, yeah. and or uh, bottom author. And um, so Merlin does this or did this. I don't know if they're still doing it or how many events. Um, a thing is in Merlin fandom is that a lot of these are events are geared specifically to the Mirtha fans, which that's the largest fan base in this fandom. But it does mean that some people will feel excluded. Um, not the bottom author fest. The bottom author fest is free for all pairings because author can get it from anyone. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah so it's just a question of finding these events as well and I think Merlin's Fests is a good Tumblr to follow for that because they reblog these things when they become aware of them or you can add these blogs if you're running one and yeah. then yeah. Uh, they will reblog and then you find out these things and then you can find new artists or new authors or whatever 
yeah. and the tree continues yeah and fest and events yeah. are just a really great way in my personal fandom experience to just find people um but yeah in terms of actually searching for stuff it, it is just always google and that might and that might lead me back to the source material on occasion a lot of the times it doesn't because it's the internet and art apparently just like art fandom apparently just decided not to have somewhere to live permanently <laughs> like it just was like we i mean you know they had fanfic.net and they had ao3 which has now been the permanent home of fic for quite a long time and i was like we don't need that we can just send people on a wild goose chase to find and catalog oh we'd love to like. have a permanent home like that and in a way that's what deviant art i was gonna to mention yeah it was like that what happened to deviant art because how the mighty have fallen that deviant art was like third on cello's list of places to look for stuff it's i don't know it's just gotten really 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 quiet um, you really don't get much interaction there. I'll post things and I'll get one or two likes and, you know, a couple times a month I might get a comment. And yeah. and I should point out that I am posting really no joke. I have averaged a new piece twice a week yeah. for the last 10 months. Yeah, I have made more art this year. I've made as much art this year as I made in the last 10 years. <laughs> so... I'm so happy for you. Know, honestly, like it makes me so happy. I mean, to not to toot my own horn or anything, but just to keep for perspective, right? It's great. It's yeah. you know, it's amazing. Yeah. You should be proud of that. Like you know, create. You know, it's amazing. You could have made so much. You know, positive stuff out of a time that you know is not so positive. Well, that that was what my hope was. I wanted to put some some you know happiness and beauty and softness out there. The rest of the world is really not a great place at the moment, and I just didn't. I, I needed that, right, yeah. in a really bad way. Absolutely. I just, to have some kind of positivity out there yeah. was super important to me. And there wasn't a whole lot I could do, you know, to yeah. to make life better for everyone. So I just, I made a whole shit ton of art. So anyway, with all that, it, there's a lot to choose from. And I know that maybe it's just that it's an absolute fire hose and everyone's being blown back by it and they can't possibly respond. But, you know, I, I'll get, I have a couple people who are real consistent about putting things in their favorites and but I, I, you basically get no comments. So it's not like I'm not making things, right? And there's no comments because yeah. there's no new material. There's a lot of new material, and I'm not getting, yeah. I'm not getting any comments. People just don't interact. I hardly ever get llama badges. And I'll be honest, I go, I post my stuff, I leave. I, I'm basically using it as an archive, a visual archive, which yeah. is nice. I think you know, at least for search function, you know. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think this has a lot to do with just fandom migration, like where where people will go to find fandom back in the back in the day it was life journal this is where you would go to find your stuff and you would post to the like cross post to the communities uh to make people aware of you having done a thing and people would go and look for that and then eventually it migrated to tumblr and now people are all over and it's just i think that I mean, I can imagine, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that especially um, newer artists who are just joining fandom, who are just uh, starting out, they might not use DeviantArt in the first place. And so the younger the fan base gets or the younger fandom in general gets, it just, it moves away from one place. Oh, and I then of course- Sorry, I forgot yeah. one, Instagram. A lot of yeah, younger artists use yeah. Instagram. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Which actually is pretty good at finding stuff with tagging. Um, yeah, I'm not. It's just that everything you post there belongs to Facebook, then. Yeah, and I've finally given up, and I've had a bunch of people start reposting my stuff on, you know, reposter blogs. Ah. We won't go into that whole long 
rant again. But so I decided I had an account. I, I'll at least put it on my blog and put a big old do not repost on it so that someone else can say, you know, this artist already has it here and specifically said not to repost it. Because it turns out that generally speaking, people are a lot of people, at least the people I know, are pretty good about jumping in and saying, hey, <laughs> no, <laughs> take it down. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree, um, Alex, that the uh, where you go to look and where you go to post is definitely there's a there's a generational a fandom generational difference and everybody goes to different spots um, i will say that having broken into a new fandom earlier this year um that yeah it's hard i mean it's and you spend a while flailing around looking for the people who a will repost the kind of stuff you're looking for and b are willing to signal boost you you know it's it's a process it's not easy uh, it takes some persistence oh yeah i was just gonna say the the generational gap is definitely one of the reasons why uh, I'm missing Roland's keep in here today. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you just got me and Shallow, us two fandom olds who are like, Even the dark Get off, Roland's keep. Yeah, but Rue, like, you know, she's also mostly on Tumblr, which, yeah, is is all very fandom specific because it might be popping for the Merlin fandom, but you go to a different, like, a completely different fandom happening at the same time, you know people creating different things like i said my fandom is completely non-existent on tumblr it's just tumbleweeds not tumblr it's like it's, it's all happening on twitter some fandoms have left tumblr mostly because of the ban because they just can't be bothered with having like you know this kind of linking back to stuff or having multiple platforms they're just like okay fine and also because of uh younger fans being aunties i think that's another hmm. problem that happens in i mean i'm not even going to go into that because it's just very familiar yeah and, and it's awful ones, right? and they're all young fans they're all young oh, most of them are young fans who don't know any better and they believe that fiction is the way that the real world is and that there is no distinction and that the way that you enjoy your fiction is the way you are in real life and a lot of them do end up pushing creators off of one platform or another and Merlin I think was a very nice first fandom for me because actually we don't have that really we get to enjoy no, we our shit. We, we didn't have that oh yeah, no it's... do we have it now do we have it now well not so much Merlin, but like the actors, like there's a Colin Morgan, quote unquote fans, who anytime anybody mentions Bradley James, go in there and just spew the most vitriolic stuff. Sake. It's why, what has Bradley done? Oh, oh! Why don't you just ask that on uh, Twitter? You'll be the victor. They have lists. They're all ready for you. Oh, man, and it's all oh, wrong. God. It's all super like I mean, preachy. It is a huge problem in some fandoms more than others. I hope Merlin fandom kind of you know stays in its own protected little bubble because I do think that it it was a wonderful first fandom experience for that reason that you know mm -hmm. I don't know how I would have dealt with all of this kind of discourse if i'd if my first fandom had been something like haikyuu because i think as a 17 year old where you're confused enough as it is which was the age i was when i got into merlin fandom i would have i don't know what i would have done i think i would have had to leave you know if i was constantly harassed for my uh the way that i choose to watch things if i was constantly harassed for the content i choose to consume if i was constantly harassed for my shipping preferences and i'm you know 
I don't even have that many people following me or caring about whether I'm alive or dead in this fandom, you know, so I don't even get the the most of it. But, you know, people who really do have a big following get constant harassment, constant threats and stuff and just constant trolling. And I don't know how how I would have dealt with that. So I think it's just a, it, it's a really, really horrible trend that's happening in fandom. And, and the reason I bring it up on the fan art part in particular is because it does happen in my opinion, mostly to artists because they're such an easy target. Because if you want to go and be an anti about a fic, you have to go in, read the fic, figure out yes. if it's anti or not. You know, whereas an art, you know, of I don't know, whatever, two teenagers getting on or two brothers getting on or, or anything that you want to pick apart is right there in the art. You don't have to look for it. You can just see it, dislike it, and then start hating on it. Yeah, yeah. It's well, the thousand words happened in half a second, exactly. and. It's Pictures, it's yeah, just that much stuff, easier yeah. to sit there and, and be super critical of it. Yeah, I agree. And and being and as hateful as it is and intense as it gets, it's amazing to me that that younger people who get attacked like that stick around. Um, and it's it's just not all of them do. No, a lot of them don't. Yeah, they leave, and it's really too bad. So for anyone listening, don't be that person. Don't chase someone out because you happen to dislike. You don't like what they are doing. You, you don't have. No one's holding anything to your head to make you. They're not taping your eyeballs to the screen to make you look at it, right? You can go somewhere else. You can search for the tag and exclude it from your search results. It's, there's all kinds of ways you can avoid what you don't like. Exactly. Um, Just please be a good person. We we have enough bad ones as it is. You don't want to be making people cry, feel shit about their life. You don't want to be that person that made someone else's day awful or someone's fandom experience awful. Like. You can mute, you can block, you can unfollow. You There is nothing that is forcing you to see the content that you don't want to see. And particularly and honestly, on A3. And honestly, if you are the kind of person who wants to be that person, then kindly go fuck yourself. Because yeah. or just get no one likes you, no one wants you in their space in the first place. There is a reason why you don't have friends maybe think about that yeah. well I mean, they have but, friends because they have people that enable them unfortunately but yeah unfortunately but the the bit but are that... those really friends or are these just allies i don't know com <laughs> allies and accomplices because <laughs> i can't i can't imagine that people who are this hateful and vitriolic all the time or in such a such a blatant way that they can form actual real relationships based on trust well they think they're doing the right thing alex that's the thing they think i'm doing the right thing because i'm speaking out against pedophilia i'm speaking out against abuse i'm speaking out against incest i'm speaking out against well and so what they're doing power, is you know? they're defending this fictional character from harm and what they're doing in the process is they're harming a flesh and blood person exactly yeah and so that's what realize, i don't think yeah. they don't understand is that by saying and doing those things they're they're actually hurting a real person that the harm that they perceive is happening with the fictional character is fictional, but that the harm that they're inflicting on the real person is real. And there, I think that in a way, some of these, I don't mean to constantly use age as an excuse, but they don't understand. Um, yeah. And there's adults who don't get it either. I mean, there's yeah. as many grown up people who are just absolute horrible people online as there are younger folks. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's no age limit on, on stupidity. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, there really isn't. Yeah. <laughs> There really isn't, yeah, but that's why I don't think that it's really like as easy as that because they believe that they're they're doing the right thing because they've been told I think this is also part and parcel maybe the older generation's fault is that they've been taught to be critical of the things that they consume, but they don't understand that there's a difference between 
consuming for pleasure and enjoyment and fantasy and like just enjoying something because it's a guilty pleasure or just any kind of pleasure you know whether it's friends which is now slightly problematic whether it's Merlin which is slightly problematic and enjoying it and being critical but still enjoying it and there's a difference between that making you a worse person they don't get that and honestly maybe that is partly our fault because maybe as adults we've told them go and be critical and pick apart the stuff that you consume because it could be bad for you we we're the ones that told them video games will make you killers we're the ones that told them don't watch scary movies you know maybe part of it isn't us i don't know yeah it's hard to say where the roots came from but they're there and 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 i just think overall the the thing is you can't it's it's just like anything else you have to speak up and you have to say that's not cool and that's not all right and the good news is that blocking is a thing yeah and so you can you can block people you sound like you know (laughs) you sound Um, like you know i I honestly i'm gonna knock on someone i really haven't run into a whole lot for all that i've fallen into a fandom and with and have fallen into a standom of a actor that provokes strong reactions in people either positive or negative um there is no in between with him at all you either really like him or you hate him <laughs> um Goddamn. i've been lucky enough to to knocking on more would not really run into a whole lot of that um so, so on that uh, i guess should we talk about capitalism then uh because that's yeah. <laughs> I, I was, yeah. <laughs> was going to say we sh- we should probably move on yeah um but yeah fuck capitalism capitalism now right yes so we are about to talk about whether or not we think it is okay or not okay to make money off of your fan art and uh funnily enough me and alex uh were guesting on a podcast of one of our listeners Anne, who is the commenter that you guys listened to earlier who actually was just we actually ended up discussing this topic on that podcast but not on my listen so i'm really curious to get no no i know but i don't remember that but (laughs) i remember that very vividly because i have very strong opinions about this so i will let everybody else talk first because i don't want to rain on everybody's parade poor alex like i have no memory of this place (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, truly i'm i'm gonna i mean we we did this during during covid times like you can't be can't expect me to remember something that happened 500 years ago. I have a skill memory. Yeah, ten, at least 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm gonna let the artists yeah. go first because. I mean, there are different revenue streams anyway, right? So maybe we should kind of talk about the different ways because you've got kind of the Redbubble route, which is kind of the mass produced side of kind of making money off of art. You've got, you know, the convention route where you draw stuff and then sell physical copies. Um, you know, you even have the doujinshi route, which obviously doesn't necessarily apply to Merlin, but it's still art. So I feel like, you know, we can talk about it. And then commissions. So there's lots of different things to discuss. But yeah, what do you guys, do you do any of those? Uh, do you know people that do any of those? And what are your thoughts about any of those? I don't do any of those, no. Um, so... Yeah, that falling into it. Merlin did not do a lot of commissions. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily still true. I don't have anyone from Merlin ever approach me really about anything, um, even when I was <laughs> just <back>. about <laughs> life in general. <laughs> Yeah, even even in even in pre-COVID, when I was still in Merlin fandom times, I very rarely had anyone just walk up and say, "Hey, would you would you make art?" Right? That was unusual. Um, 
it, it did happen occasionally and it was always lovely when it did. And the big bangs were really great for, for facilitating that kind of thing. Um, in that you would work with someone and you would make them art, but it was all, you know, free will offering. It was that you helped them by making illustrations for the fic that they were writing. Right. And, and that was, there was no money involved in that at all. It was just, you, you give your time and effort. Um, the star Wars fandom is very heavily commission based. Um, it's a newer fandom. Well, I mean, this side of Star Wars, like the new trilogy side is a newer fandom. And I think it's a single trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I found that to be a really interesting difference. And I've actually had several people approach me. And, and so I've been wrestling with this this year a lot. This has been something that I've been fretting about because mm -hmm. my whole portrait series is all based on photographs taken by actual professional photographers. So yeah. if I ever sold any of those, what I would be doing, you know, I, I was really struggling with the concept of, of intellectual property and yeah, I'm skating on kind of thin ice, even just making them to be quite frank, they could in theory yeah. take me to court. Yeah. And so that gave me, I mean, literal tears. I was in literal tears for like three days over this because I just had a complete absolute meltdown panic attack on top of everything else. You know, it's, it's, this year is thrown at us. I kind of came to this realization, <clears throat> but I feel like if someone's willing to pay you as a commission to make a fan art, I don't have any angst about that at all. That doesn't bother me. Um, so long as you can square it with your own finances and in your taxes and stuff and report it however you want. Um, it gets squidgy when you get into making, in the United States anyway, if you make over a certain amount of money, you have to report it on your taxes. Well, how do you report that income? Um, but that's your own personal odyssey that you get to carry on with between you and the uh, Internal Revenue Service and your accountant. Um, which I'm going to have to because people are starting to ask me to make stuff for money. And so far what I've done is I've dodged and I've said, can you please maybe take the money you would have paid me and donate it to, you know, a charity instead. Um, Congratulations on your book cover, by the way. I have actually made a book cover. Yes, thank you. Oh, congratulations. Um, I'm an actual published artist. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so... That kind of stuff is is different, but I, I and I was chatting with a, a different publisher who's a friend of the one that I made the book cover for, and we kind of got into this discussion. They were very reassuring. They're both people that have come from a fandom background and have a lot of experience in this, and and essentially we agreed that because um, one of them wants to do um, like a fandom, a book about fandom, and wants to include some illustrations and. I think I've come to the realization for me anyway, that if I'm doing a drawing based off of promotional materials that they've released I, or screen caps, I don't really have any angst about making art about that. I think they, they would really be pushing it out there to try to say that I was somehow stealing a market from them, which is the whole point behind suing someone over intellectual property. Um, selling my portrait series as prints would definitely, I feel like infringe on the photographer's ability to do the same thing, right? especially since I work in such a realistic style. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I really do think it makes a difference whether you're talking about a commission where you're doing a piece for a specific person, right? And they're paying you the one time to do this work for them. They're paying you for the work that you're doing to produce this piece, right? That I feel like is a completely different thing than paying someone for a print. Does that make sense? I mean, it's a fine line definition yeah. between the two. Yeah. 
as, as opposed to, but, it, and it makes a difference if you're using screen caps or if you're, uh, it's, it's so complicated and, and all of it's entirely up to the, the whim of the judge in the court, if they ever decide yeah, yeah, to yeah, exactly. So even just making fan art, even if you never sell it, you're absolutely putting yourself out there. Yeah. It's unfortunately just a reality, which is why a lot of fan artists are anonymous and you don't know their real life names. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's but there are also a lot of fan artists and i'm thinking of and i'm not outing anyone because this is common knowledge but like um mari lewis for example uh lao pendragon and other people who do actually sell their art through uh so-called kofi uh commissions or kofi donate like they use kofi as a way of getting paid for stuff they then yeah sell they will put together a, a little art collection books of their art and and sell those you can buy these art books and from i have this artist I, I i own a couple of them yeah so. well and they're wonderful but what they're doing is so transformative their style is completely different so talking about what they're doing i mean they're imagining a whole different um, like Lao particularly has all kinds of yeah okay they're drawing from reference but their style is so very distinctive um, mm -hmm. and the storylines that they're telling are absolutely not things that were ever necessarily 100% covered in Merlin so there's it's it's so creative and so transformative that I really don't think that they are in any danger of having any issues at all mm -hmm. whereas when you look at what primarily what I do which is to work really heavily from reference and I don't I don't feel like I do a lot of transformation. This is probably my imposter syndrome talking. Um, but I feel like that's a totally different story. If I was doing more original work that involved a lot more transformative stuff, kind of like the stuff that Anf does with the, the comics and things that are so creative and unique. And um, that's a, that's a really different thing than painting from just, and this is again this is me picking on myself um it's just going straight from reference that's a i feel like that's a really different thing yeah, so what you're saying and i don't want to belittle your art at all because your art is absolutely gorgeous and masterful and uh i know plenty of people wouldn't be able to do what you do but um just to clarify you feel like what you're doing is basically making a copy mm -hmm in your own style with your own uh materials whereas uh for example our open dragon uh in your opinion creates something new based on something else yeah and so i don't think it's a one-size-fits-all kind of answer and i certainly would never mm. ever pick on anyone who chose to make bank i get a little funny about people who do things like uh, i love the I love the creativity of the Marvel character universe um, fan artists. I just, it's just incredible what they make. And the marketing, though, sometimes of some of the symbols like the Captain America shield and stuff that gets sold for phone cases and this, that, and the other, that I think they're skating on pretty thin ice, but Marvel's never chased anyone about it. So in this case, it becomes almost unenforceable because they've never bothered to actually which is surprising because marvel is owned by disney and we know that disney goes oh, after everyone. oh man you should see how fast they take down videos on youtube last year with the rise of skywalker holy cow i mean we're talking maybe 30 seconds after it go up it'd be gone it was incredible that yeah they're really fierce and they've never chased anyone and i don't know why that is but except that i think it 
when your stars of your show go out on the floor at Comic-Con and say, I want to see all of the fan art and I want to see all of the cosplay. <laughs> Damn it, Chris. You know, <laughs> and Scarlet, I mean, ScarJo was yeah, like, oh, I yeah. saw people as Black Widow. Oh my God, it was so amazing. Yeah, but then you also see there are artists like um, Alice Chang, who started off as a Sherlock fan artist, who yeah. did a lot of the same kind of stuff that I did. Some really amazing portraits and stuff. And developed her style and her voice and got contacted and they said hey you know we disney contacted her so now she does into the spider-verse fan art and she's getting paid but that's what you'll end up with if you ever go to court is whether if you're trying to say that you're making a transformative work the argument is how much of it have you transformed and the interpretation of the judge is really what it comes down to or the jury or however it works when you're in the courtroom and it's it's entirely there, there's really no, there's no hard and fast rule and there's no guarantee that you're going to be okay. Weirdly, not making money on it is not a protection. I learned that just because you don't make any money on it doesn't necessarily mean they can't sue you silly for it. The thing is, and I don't know how this applies, but like, um, this is obviously American copyright law as yes. well. Yeah. And Lau is German and Mary Lewis is Italian. So an entirely different copyright law might apply to it, them and the EU, i'll yeah. be honest i don't know what it is your mileage <laughs> like, may vary your mileage may vary yeah exactly and, and, and as far as i'm aware everything is forbidden like just just don't do it basically um and I yet mean, then there's there's um to drag another fandom into this there's the good omens fandom which is amazing um and the creators of good omens the tv series includes one of the writers of the book and neil gaiman is famously okay with fan works um and so yeah. is everyone else on that production team they actively encouraged people to make fan art and fan works and fan merch because exactly. amazon and the Beeb were never going to get around to it they said they're not going to do it they're just simply not going to make it so it's going to be up to you to make your own joy here have fun worries if you're an and rice fan forget it you don't for just i mean these days I, I saw this post on tumblr a while ago where they were like look at these people posting and rise fan fiction and fan art uh without any any worry in the world but that's because they can post it to ao3 and ao3 is what's protect is what protects these works because right. uh ao3 has says well they're transformative and they're not making money from it so they are allowed under the law and Anne Rice can come after them but before we had AO3 Anne Rice was famous for rather infamous yeah. for going after people who made fan art or wrote fan fiction about her characters yeah so it depends really heavily on and Shine Fremantle and we talked about this in the last one with Pet Peeves every year they would take down Merlin's Keep every year they would go after them with that stupid thing um saying that they did everything right even though they did everything right even though they followed all of the rules they'd say oh you're using our promotional materials um in a way that we didn't authorize and every year Merlin's keep would have to go to bat in court basically pre-court kind of stuff to explain that no we followed all of your rules we're we're doing everything you asked us to we're not doing anything illegal we paid you for the right to have these and we're following your stipulations we aren't leasing it early what people do with it after we put it up that's not up to us right and you're going to release these anyway we didn't release them early nothing right shine was so so particular about the marketing until like season five in which they just didn't give a fuck anymore <laughs> <laughs> 
because they knew it was just, going away and just like the actors exactly and everybody just, else involved yeah they all just said yeah whatever and and quit chasing everyone but every year they chase them so you you worry about that you know i'm not going to say that doesn't go yeah. into the calculations um but i i do think that truly transformative works thankfully we are at a point where fandom is recognized as a a legitimate a more legitimate outlet and that people making creative things that it's okay and more and more the larger conglomerates seem to be accepting that this is actually free marketing and they'll sell yeah. more stuff if they let fan artists run away with these things um that it's not so much worth it although i will say that if you attempt to sell anything on redbubble that's um if you've got you know any kind of chibi art or whatever any kind of art and you tag it star wars they'll take it down immediately you have to find yeah. different ways to refer to it because they'll just immediately take it down um yeah. and i don't space know space conflict yeah everyone has to get super creative about how they tag it um so which i just think is ridiculous but there you have. So I don't have any particular issue with anybody making bank on it. Um, I think it's a risk you take. There's a chance you could get sued. It's more a bother than anything else because you've got to set up some way to track the income. <laughs> so if you do it really well, I guess you've got to report it on your taxes. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Amp? Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> um, it's weird. Like I, I never really liked the idea of being paid to do the fan art or, or like being paid for like for the art part itself but I, I was more open to the tip style like like the the, the Kofi style like yeah hmm, I'm not paying I'm not buying the art I'm just supporting the artist so more mm -hmm. the patreon kind yes yeah I, I like that model I think that's a great model where you can pay the artist just to do the work and you happen to get work out of it you know content yeah. out of it. yeah i i heard just today that for example mari lewis decided to leave patreon again they've been on patreon for a while and they were producing stuff and getting money from it and then they decided to leave patreon again because they felt um like they felt an obligation to create art um, yeah. at a certain I level and in a certain quantity because mm. people were paying them and so yeah. they've they they it took the joy out of making art yeah and and so they left patreon again patreon is a bit trickier because for a content creator because people are paying a monthly subscription to you and so yeah. you need to be like oh i need to be on all the time yeah pro providing yeah. for these people who are giving me a thing that's why i would like that the the coffee the coffee style like the like the tips like just here's a coffee yeah here's, here's, yeah here's like a couple bucks yeah. yeah. And it's just once if you want. Maybe you want to do a couple more all the time. <laughs> but that that's also why I kind of set up that that Twitch that I stream my art on Twitch. Yeah, I remember. And, and there's a little donate button where you can just like, you know, send yeah. a couple bucks. It's fine. Yeah. 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 And no, then I... like for some reason COVID happened and I went the complete opposite way of cello where I've only done one <laughs> piece of art. <laughs> I'm up, I'm up to 97 i'm up to 97 i counted i'm so envious like just hearing you talk about how it was bringing such joy i was like i was just like 
welling up in my eyes. I'm like, I'm so terrified. I know Falcon is real. Exactly as valid as mine. It's absolutely. It's been a year. It's been it's been an awful year, and and, and so- no, I mean it's been a year since I've done art. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's <laughs> but um, and I feel terrible because I'm I actually have put myself into a position where I owe somebody art for you, you know that finished that fic Merlin uh fest. Yeah. Well, I I volunteered like yeah okay I I'll draw art for whoever wins this round, and the person won, and they're like okay here's what I want, and I'm like. Now I need finish that art, because it's been a hot seven months. I'm working on it. <laughs> <sighs> I thought it'd be yeah. I don't know. I'm just it's a year for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's been awful, and and it's it's that's something that I I really like your point about the coffee bean the tip kind of thing, and I I like the yes. idea of the commissions, right? And so you talk it over with someone, and they pay you for a specific piece, and then it's something it was something that you were inspired enough to make and if any artists are listening please review your commission prices because <laughs> a lot of you are lowballing yourselves yes you are worth so much more like yes. or, or the art yeah yeah and well and i am so don't listen to me because i yeah i i am very thankful to be in a position where i don't need the money right i literally do this because i love it and if someone wants to pay me, great. Um, and it's actually more of a hassle for me to deal with reporting it on my taxes than it is anything else, right? And to be realistic, um, I don't think that uh, most of the artists who do commissions bother with that. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not accusing anyone. I don't know for sure what anyone is doing, but like, that's certainly not something I would have thought of. Well, and it's hard to say how much to, to charge because then you run into, if you really charge for your expertise, right? And the number of years you've been working on this and, you know, all that other stuff. It's interesting because I've been doing a lot of looking into this, having done a book cover that I actually really did get paid for um, and looking into pursuing it more professionally i've been encouraged to do that by various and sundry people the mr cello is very skeptical um and the this is only true in the u.s but the the u.s department of um employment basically i can't remember the exact word but their estimate is that artists time is worth about 25 dollars an hour which honestly is a little low if you actually want to be able to make money and survive <laughs> yeah um but even with that so you take an average one of those portraits I'm doing, which I'm working straight from reference, right? I have a good reference. I'm working straight from reference. And given I am doing basically photorealism, I've been averaging, what, eight or nine hours, sometimes as much as 12. Do you really think that someone's going to pay me $25 times 12? Yeah. For one of those. That's $300. And that's what it's that's what it should be though. But that's like, low. And I know fandom doesn't want to hear that. But and that's, that's low. That's, and that's low that's though. Low. Because yeah, I was gonna say like just my worth more like six hundred. Yeah, I would say more like um like how I always envisioned it, like if it was ever me, like if somebody ever asked me to, to do a commission, I would just pick my province's minimum wage and then and per hour. And yeah, never do flat never say, Oh, it's fifty bucks for a bust. No, don't do that. It's it's you do it by hour by because hour. every picture yeah. is gonna be 
but then you have different. to, but then you have to track it, right? So then you have yeah. to figure out how you're going to track it, which is something. Oh, there's little apps for that. Yeah. I've, I've been using apps like that since 1999 yeah, when I was I invoicing figure for out editing. The best ones from you because I'm going to need that, need that. But yeah, in, you got to track your time. You need to give an honest um, evaluation of what your time is worth. And even for younger people who don't have as much, much experience, absolutely be honest about how much time you're spending on it because it's like people think these things just appear. And they don't, yeah. right? It's, it takes time and it takes effort. It's and there's a lot of work that happens that isn't even you actually drawing, especially the more original it is, the more original the composition is, how much time you spend looking. Oh my God, how much time do you spend looking for references, right? Yeah. Amph and I have a, a mutual friend who does uh, fiber art um, and she sells her art quilts and f is frequently told. I, I mean, most people just say, yeah and pay the price because they know her and they know her process and they know how much time and thought and effort went into this. Um, but they, she still gets people who are like, why are you charging so much for this little 12 by 12 piece of fabric? And there's just, it's, it's just mind boggling that it's, so she feels guilty about asking for as much as it's really worth. And she's actually, she's lowballing the price again, you know, and there's a lot of what goes into making a, creative piece that isn't visible and yeah there's a lot of time spent thinking about it that doesn't look like productive time but actually is and so it's hard to track that because you're spending all this time scrolling through google images <laughs> looking for exactly the right reference and you spend hours at it and it's like, why did I spend so much time? You end up using the thing you found five minutes in and not the other 18 things you found after four hours. But all of that time was useful because then you knew that was the right one, right? And you feel kind of bad yeah. charging for that, so you don't. And and people really do, for whatever reason, think that things just magically appear, that it never looks ugly, that you never have to work on it, which is why I've started posting my works in progress on my Twitter. So you can see exactly how ugly it was. And man, it was ugly. Um, and that it took me hours to get it to not look like that. <laughs> yeah. And this... these are fairly straightforward where, again, I'm just working straight from reference. So I'm just making yeah. it look like the thing that's sitting right next to my drawing. And this spring, uh, in like April or May, I commissioned an artist uh, for two original pieces. I had bought a piece of their art, like an original uh, print from their shop years ago. And I wanted two accompanying pieces that matched the style of that first one because I wanted a sort of triptych. Is it called triptych? Triptych, like yeah. yeah. Triptych, triptych, thank you, pronunciation. Uh, uh, a triptych uh, for it. It's uh, it's not safe for work, which is why I'm not going into, into more detail. I can only describe the original piece was basically of a... Um, <laughs> let's call it a male coated chest because it was very uh, broad chest, very hairy, and it was uh, wearing uh, a lacy bra, basically. And I wanted two pieces that went along with it, one of the face and one of other body parts. And uh, so I contacted the artist and I was like, look, I have this idea in my head. This is what I would like uh, for you to make so I can put it up. Um, in my uh in my bedroom because that's where I would go that's where I wanted first of all would you be comfortable with making this and second of all what what are you going to charge me for this and um I ended up paying 
um, I think I paid over 300 euros in the end for both pieces. Uh, they gave me a flat rate that was, I think, $120 uh, per piece. And then we added shipping costs to that because they had to ship it over from the US to Germany. Um, and they ended up revising one of the pieces several times because they wanted to make sure that it was exactly how I wanted it to be. And we've been in contact for at least two weeks. Every other day we would be talking and they were showing me a progress sketch. And I was like, well, it's almost right. And I kept sending them reference pictures so they didn't have to go look for references. Bless I you. provided I provided the references because I had a very specific image in my head that I wanted them to make. And so I felt obligated to provide them with the reference of what I wanted because they can't read my mind. Right. And no matter and no matter how much I described, it would never really come like it would never really convey what I wanted. So I kept sending them references. And in the end, they made it exactly like I wanted it. And they were like, I'm so glad you kept telling me that it wasn't exactly what you wanted. And you kept telling me what you wanted and showing me what you wanted because they in the end agreed that uh, the end product uh looked perfect like looked exactly right whereas some of the previous sketches or, or versions didn't look exactly right but like I was like okay now that we've done this I've already paid you upfront what we agreed that I would pay and now you've done all this extra work so tell me what else like how much I owe you because clearly you've done more work than you signed up for originally <laughs> and they told me I think they said um well, all in all, just another, I think it was $75. And I rounded it up because I was like, no, you did. Like, they were definitely lowballing the extra cost as well. And I was like, no, come on. I'm going to pay you more. I can afford it at this point in my life. I was able to afford it. So I did that. And I understand that not everybody can do this. Like, not everybody can pay more than the artist agree. Like, the artist says that they want. Uh, but if you can please do because artists are definitely always lowballing their prices because they know that they are having a hard time selling their art in the first place. Yeah. And, and so I feel bad making free will offerings when I know that, um, that money would be offered in some cases, right? Because that, that lowers the, the bar in terms of how much you can charge for a lot of other people. And yet, I'll be honest, everyone I've run into in, in this newer fandom, in the Star Wars fandom, has really been very upfront. They really want to pay me. They really, really, really feel like it's important to support artists. And I've never had anyone grouse at me. They've all been, I'm like, I, 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 what I've done to get around the whole getting paid and having to report it boondoggle um, for now is I've put them off and said, can you donate it to, um, Adam Driver has a charity. And I'm like, can you just give it to that? Because that would make me happy that's like the best way I can think of to pay forward my thankfulness for what he's doing. That's very clever. To support. Like yeah. It. Yeah. And so what I do is I'm like, just give what you would have, whatever you can afford that you feel is fair. I want you to donate to AITAF, give it to ATAF, um, support his work, his charity. And, um, and then it's, it's less about me charging. They get to pay because giving, accepting the gift honors the giver. Um, and I don't want to tell them not to pay me if they really feel strongly about it. But at the same time, it is a huge hassle for me. And then they get to choose what they think is fair. Um, 
and I, I kind of wish we had something like that for Merlin. I'd love it if we could set up something, but Colin doesn't necessarily have a, or Bradley or anybody have a, a charity that they support really openly. But, yeah. I think the best thing to do is go with um, Angel's agenda and try to support anti-racist. Yeah. Uh, which is why, like, which is part of why we're from Merlissen are doing it with the, with the Kofi donation. So we, receive it's there there are no charities supported or um, founded by any of the actors that we know of but uh i mean this year anyway has been um the year where people have become even more aware of racism as an issue in the world i mean we've already talked about this at the beginning of the episode and uh and also we know that angel is very political on her twitter and when when she gets the chance and she's very outspoken about racism so i feel like that's a good that's a good place to start yeah and for, for merlin exactly and but so that's been my own particular personal workaround is to donate to you know and if but yeah i i, I like the amp's comment about the coffee thing i really do think that's a fantastic solution that and, and taking commissions i don't think is a big deal it gets a little funnier when you when you're selling prints because then you are actually selling a physical item um or you know pillows or any other stuff but man there's so much stuff out there it's it's pretty incredible i would never ever ever diss anyone for doing that you know yeah just be so, careful with red bubble and stuff like that and all those kind of mass-produced um merchandise stuff because as soon as you give them your your images that i think they own them you do have to look at that and see if they if they own them or if if you're just giving them permission to use them to make your items there's a mm. very fine difference between those two yeah so, so it's anyway selling stuff is thorny don't ever give anyone a hard time for choosing to do it please if you're an artist do read the terms and conditions to see if if once you you print the thing and you decide you don't want to have it there anymore that they can't simply say well you put it up and so it's ours forever because that's not funny um yeah and everybody needs to find a part from like legal issues which you need to figure out like if this is art you are even that you're likely to get in trouble for selling if someone catches you you also have to find your own comfort level of what you're comfortable with putting out there to sell if you want to sell something yeah and then too that whole bit that, like mary Luce is saying that she found patreon to be too pressurized an environment to find if you're looking to get compensated a, a solution that works for you whether you you might work well in a in an environment where you feel like you owe people stuff and it keeps you productive and other people that might shut them down so find a find a way to do that that works for you for your own head you know if, if working for tips works better for you and what you make generates some income on the side and that's what you are most productive with then do that and if you want to have a patreon and have it be a monthly subscription and, and you feel like you can do that do that you know it's i don't think there's any wrong yeah. way to do it um it's all a question of what you're comfortable with but don't undervalue yeah. yourself and it's also I think this is something we talked about in the original recording of this episode, which then uh, unfortunately did not work out like we planned. 
uh, Berlin's Keep was weighing in how she can't sell her art. Yeah. Because she does uh, manipulations and so on, which means that she's using the actual faces of Bradley and Colin and other actors. So she can't actually sell those because she's selling images of them. And that's... Which is why Kofi or Kofi yeah. Coffee would be the perfect Kofi, yeah, it's Kofi. Uh, solution for that because you're not buying the art. Yeah, you're tipping yeah, the artist, yeah. supporting the artist. Yes, I actually don't really find much um, interest in any argument concerning intellectual property because I think intellectual property on itself is a really thorny topic where you know at the end of the day you're protecting the intellectual property of most of these fandoms are part of massive ips that are making billions of dollars and even smaller fandoms are still hugely popular enough they have enough of a fan following to make fan art and they're not struggling for cash like some are small uh what's that new game right now um that everybody among yeah, us yeah that's the one that's small and you have to take it on a- i was gonna say genshin impact <laughs> And you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But even, you know, kind of, you know, Merlin versus Star Wars versus Disney versus, you know, some Japanese manga, like most of these people are fine for cash. And the fact that you make fan art and or sell it is not necessarily going to impact them. And so we are just talking about legality that is slash isn't morally correct. I personally have my own opinions about intellectual property. I believe that once something is out there and you want to make things of it regardless, you know, as long as you're not taking, like you said, revenue away from the original source, which you physically can't with fan art because it's not the same medium. Like it's not the same, you know, thing as a TV show. I -hmm. personally don't have a problem with it. You know, I, as a Disney fan, it hurts me a lot to see all of these copyright overhauls being done on things like mickey and you know the fact that harry potter will never ever leave the domain you know of warner brothers because that's how it's been done in star wars and people will never have the chance to create their own marauder stories their own star wars i mean star wars is a bit different because it's got all these like side things that's fine but um yeah i think that's kind of like its own uh own conversation because copyright is inherently evil like in general i think like it's not really fair on small creators but i think in terms of money um it's interesting because i actually stopped buying commissions um uh earlier this year because i had bought a couple and i already felt really weird about it at the time and i kind of decided that i was going to stop buying them and i have had commissions bought for me by friends but they haven't told me they're doing it so it's kind of like too late by the time that they'd let me know like hey I bought something for you I'm like oh okay thank you um but I think like because I've been in fandom for obviously like you know I mean we've all been in fandom for um at least 10 years mine's been about 10 11 years your guys is probably a bit more you know I I don't remember fandom ever being um this way where people were able to make significant or not significant money from fan works and when I was uh, creating stuff like fic or predominantly I was making fan vids which like I said if I checked my stats I'm sure they were probably doing very very well at the time for the fandom Um, and I remember that you know fandom was predominantly a place where everything 
was for free. And the reason why that was important to me personally was that because, you know, we are a society that unfortunately revolves around capitalism and money and money being power and money being freedom and all that kind of stuff. And the reason why big corporations feared fandoms and continue to fear fandoms is because we are a system and a community that is able to exist and flourish without the exchange of money. And it is something that is hugely different about us that we somehow manage to create a place where we spend the majority of our free time and yet it's nothing to do with capital it's just to do with the art and I think that uh it could just be the that because I'm now in a different fandom and things are different that you guys said Merlin doesn't isn't super kind of into the whole um commission thing and merch selling thing necessarily but obviously some fandoms are like cello said that star wars is and i think what kind of upsets me um i mean i really don't care if people you know sell art or not i don't have to buy it it's you know it's not forcing me to buy it but i think that it does make me sad sometimes to see fandom going into such a kind of monetary direction because that is not what it started out as and it feels now like every single artist has a patreon every single artist is doing commissions predominantly like you know i used to be friends with some you know pretty good vidas who would have like a lot of a lot of subscribers and you could just ask them to make something for you just or make a suggestion say oh would you mind doing this and if they felt like it they say yeah sure and honestly i can't even imagine doing that now or like just kind of giving someone a suggestion hey would you think about ever drawing this like not even do it for me just hey would you ever think about doing this these days it really feels a lot at least again in my fandom like it's all about well yeah but it's going to cost you which is it, it never used to feel that way and I recently actually did um a project for a friend of mine who was going through a really rough time she like hit, hit her head and like had a concussion and stuff and I reached out to the people in my discord server who were fic writers and artists and one of them was a massive uh fandom artist who like had a merch store and all sorts of things and I actually expected her to turn around and say no I'm not going to do this for you because you know I sell art for money and I don't need to do you a favor and um I basically sent out like a group email saying hey this person's in a really rough spot I really want to make her like this art book a thick and art um I can't pay you you know um but I you know she's our friend and I think that she would really appreciate it and every single one of them got back to me and said that they would do it including this really big artist and I thought this is kind of what fandom used to feel like. And the fact that my immediate reaction was to say, I can't pay you, I'm sorry. I, that to me says that so much of fandom now has driven into like a financial direction where most people want to ask money for things. Was it always like that? Or is it just kind of recently where people like you guys said are able to get away with it more because the copyright laws have been more lenient towards people like that? Um, I feel like the introduction of online marketplaces is rel relatively new. Um, before that, like, the, where would you sell your art? Like, where would you even get money to put on the internet? Well, commissions have always been... I mean, you know, you could always do them through social media. I mean, marketplaces, yeah, I think are a different thing. But the kind of, well, I'll make this for you, but you have to pay me to do it. You could do... I mean, you could do that from any, any platform you wanted, surely. Live well, I'll go back like, to the very first fandom. I mean, basically, that existed Star in a Trek, modern yeah. format. That would be Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and they printed stuff in zines, and they sold stuff at cons. Mm -hmm. And that's how you used to do it. And it, I don't think that, you know, the zines were, you would charge what it cost to print it. They were essentially free. I mean, it would, yeah, they would yeah, just yeah. cover the cost for the paper yeah. and stuff. 
they were, like you said, they were offerings of, of love to other people who were enthusiastic about this weird little show. And, and I do think that that kind of carried over into a lot of other fandoms and Merlin was very much like that. And it's why I feel kind of odd when people approach me and say, I want to pay you to make a work. And, and it's also, uh, um, and it's, it's why I'm happier if I read a fic and it's, I see a scene and it's like, oh my God, I have to, I have to paint that. And I've had a couple this yeah. year that happened like those several. Um, and I just make it and give it to someone and I hope, I pray that they like it <laughs> so far. You know, so far the reactions have been good. Um, and it's because I enjoyed it and this was a way for me to, f- I really liked what they made and this is a way for me to say thank you back, right? Mm-hmm. That this was this inspired me to make that well, and that's that, what fandom is about isn't it it's about really, inspiration yeah. it's about things inspiring things inspiring things that's, the big fandom circle yeah of joy yeah, yes that is basically what it is yeah which is kind of like you know there are you know it feels sometimes like a bit of an exclusive club because there are particularly big artists for example that i follow who will post stuff they'll post a snippet of something but then like you said uh cello that they will then post the the bigger version or the or the more detailed version or sometimes the not safe for work version or the more i mean it's like a safe work snippet and then they'll post the more not not safe work version on their patreon and then it does start to feel more exclusive it's like you are using this as a business you know this isn't a fandom thing anymore this is basically a a source of income for you and that sometimes to me does feel a little bit icky not necessarily because of the intellectual property but because people will say well you're paying for the artist you know they are earning money for, for for their art and you know their time and it's like yeah but can we please be honest with ourselves that if the same artist was drawing original characters that had nothing to do with this fandom they would not see a cent in their patreon they're making this money because it's haiku or because it's star wars and that is when i find a bit of insincerity going on because there's a lot of talk about how you're paying for the artist's time and you're paying for this no the people who are paying these prices are paying because they want these characters and artists know this they know that they're mostly being paid because they draw characters that's what people want and they don't like to admit it but we know that that's true and the art is gorgeous and it's beautiful and the artists are incredibly talented but they are able to make this money from someone else's creation and so because that is the case i find it a little bit frustrating that it has started to become more and more exclusive that artists are setting up you know extra content or extra patreon where it never used to necessarily be that way everything was free for all we were all there to enjoy our whatever form it took together as a community yeah but i do think amp's point about the online marketplaces is a valid one too that just flat didn't exist redbubble wasn't a thing you couldn't just print the art out and share it right it was much harder um and you were more likely to get chased and so at least if you didn't charge for it you had that little umbrella to try to hide underneath Mm -hmm. um and so i do think that that makes a big difference it's just that it's so much easier to flog your own material and you're absolutely right that what we're doing is um taking something that somebody else made that caught everyone's imagination and doing new things with it that's the whole essence of a transformative work right and it's amazing and that's why we love fandom is because we are inspired by other people's things you know it's really you know it's really special 
I wonder if charity auctions had anything to do with a rise in more artists feeling comfortable offering commissions or charging for their work in the first place. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming that our listeners are familiar with the concept of a charity auction, but just in case you aren't, the charity auction is where artists, uh, authors, any kind of fan creators basically tell you what they can do, what it should cost. And then you either pay whoever's running the charity auction or you pay directly to a chosen charity. Either the auction will provide charities that you're supposed to uh, donate to or they will give a theme and then you donate to a charity that is uh, on topic for the theme. So, and for example, an anti-racist uh, auction might be uh, of choice. And then... So you don't pay the artist, but you do basically what Cello does. You you pay a charity and as a thank you for giving money to the charity, you receive art or fic or pot fic or whatever from your chosen creator. You have to pro- provide proof that you donated to this charity and then you will get uh, a thank you from them in for the value that you donated yeah to the charity and I feel like I mean I might be entirely wrong about this this is just me uh connecting dots that might not even be connected I I feel like I'm this I'm this meme from I don't know I don't even know what show I am but Rox already knows I which, know which uh, I've connect I've connected the dots dots you haven't connected shit I have connected the dots um that's probably me right it's now but several dots Alex and that is probably one of them if yeah like if we're on a yeah so that it became more more acceptable to even think of fan works in relation to money because in order to run a charity auction you have to think about what your work is worth or what your time is worth as a fan yeah. creator and then uh, you know quote unquote charge people for it yeah. because I mean you're not getting the money yourself but money is charged for what you're doing like you're still paying a certain amount for a certain type of fan work even if you're not paying it directly to the artist yeah. and I wonder if that had something to do with making it more acceptable I'm not sure how I'm I'm glad you gave that explanation because I've never really looked into charity auctions too much but just from the name I would think that if an artist went in and be like, yeah, I'll put myself up, you know, there and maybe, you know, raise a couple bucks for this charity. And all of a sudden a bidding war or like an actual, like an auction happens where it's like, oh, I'll give, you know, 20 bucks. I'll give 50 bucks. I'll give a hundred bucks. All of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, people want my stuff. Maybe I'll just do this after this is done too. Yeah. 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 And this is, absolutely I don't know if bidding wars happen in charity auctions. Well, they did happen in, the, yeah, they, they absolutely happened in the one I was involved in because I did one for Black Lives Matter for a, uh, for a bidding community. It was run by some big time bidders. I'm talking like, you know, tens of thousands of, of subscribers who, who ran this and there were hundreds of people involved. They did an absolutely fantastic job. And I put myself forward to be a bidder in it um, to uh, raise money for Black Lives Matter. And they raised thousands of pounds. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, like some of the larger bidders, they had projects like I'm talking individual vids like that were going to be obviously tailored to the individual and they could choose everything they wanted. But they paid 300 bucks for something like that. 300 bucks for a four minute video and i'm just like i mean amazing because it's for black lives matter but i was also like dude 
<laughs> and it was funny because actually something that I ended up um, selling, I was so happy that I didn't go for that much money because I was because it would have just put more pressure on me. I sold, I think, uh, one full length video and two smaller ones, all of them for five bucks. And my friend was so mad at me because she was like, how long is this taking? I was like, I don't know. Like the big one's taking me like, I don't know, three days. And she was like, and you, and they paid five bucks. I'm like, I don't, it's for charity. What would you mean? Like, you know, any little yeah, but because bit it's even worse. Be, be, because it's for charity, you should have charged more yeah. because it's for charity. Well, we weren't allowed to. I actually put my starting bid at five just in case that was the only thing that was going to sell. And the host told us to lower it to one because they were confident Ooh. that they would go for much more. Well, they were worried about people not being able to afford it, you know, which is fair because mm. any anything is better than nothing. You know, like one one dollar is better than zero dollars for Black Lives Matter. Um, but yeah, it did end up meaning that I spent three days working on something that was worth five bucks. But again, it didn't matter to me because it was again five bucks or, or f fifteen bucks that went to Black Lives Matter that wouldn't have gone otherwise if I'd have just made those videos for myself. And I've only ever like like I have bought a Zine recently. It hasn't been released yet, but it is also for a charity thing as well. It's charity only, and I. I love to support nonprofit stuff for fandom because I think it's something that really can do so much good. I mean, we, I mean, you know, me and Alex ran a financial, like a financially based uh, project when we did coin a lot. And, you know, that was also similar to what you guys said with the Star Trek thing is we, we literally only had to charge. So we didn't pay for people's like hotel stays. <laughs> like we also paid to go to coin a lot like we also pay 250 pounds each in order to attend this con and it was only yeah. costing that so that we could actually run the cost of the con and i think we still ended up having to spend some of our own money alex like not a lot but like a tiny no we didn't oh didn't no, we? we didn't oh congrats no we didn't congratulations <laughs> and look like i've said before i think that you know every person will do as their conscience dictates you know i personally don't feel good about like kind of uh paying money for profit related things in fandom in terms of this kind of thing just because it makes me feel uncomfortable if i were to take money personally and so i don't then want to do it in return even though yeah i get ah oh, like nice but it just like it just makes me feel a bit icky and i and i don't like to do it and other people like to do it and that's completely fine i think though that it would be nice if there was a little bit more honesty about why people are able to make this money because like i said it is not profiting in like a bad way like i don't mean that in like a bad way but it is profiting off of somebody else's creation what is more upsetting however is that the same people who are profiting off of somebody else's characters and somebody else's world will then likely turn around to someone and say you need to ask my permission before you do anything with this particular piece of art so someone who writes a fan fiction might demand permission for someone to create a transformative work of that when they have no right to do that because they haven't asked permission of the original creator of the series, show, manga, or otherwise to create that fan fiction. So what right did they have to tell a fan creator in a fandom of transformative works that they need to ask permission to draw art, make podfic, or do anything of the sort? And that's when I think it becomes sketchy because these same people then will charge for what they make and then expect people to follow different rules than they do. Is that something that you've seen recently? I've not seen people ask, demand permission for if you want to do fan art of my work. Well, I've seen people. Well, I've in seen Merlin people. Fandom. Well, no, but for a like, I've not no, no, no. Okay, not necessarily. I've seen people get. I've seen people feel uncomfortable about the idea of people using their 
fic universe for their like so they've said if you want to write stories inspired by this fic please ask me first which Oh, is a bit like like they'll have it in the fic but even the concept of blanket permission is to me ridiculous because blanket permission should be the standard across any piece of fiction created ever because that is what fandom is based on blanket permission mm -hmm. is what we use in order to get away with having things like ao3 because otherwise we would not have fandom and you know i've seen people be a bit like oh well i don't like it because i don't feel in control but at the same time i can't help it it's like well now you know how you know creators of original works feel <laughs> like <laughs> when you go and make their characters gay or whatever like you know that's what we do and you don't get to decide what happens to your art once it's out in the world like that is unfortunately what transformative works are about if i want to i don't know like take a fic that alex wrote and do my own spin on it and make my own little side universe i'm in my legal rights to do it but fandom will tell you except that you won't ever do that because you don't read my works because you get squick squicked by the idea of reading something written by someone you know I can't do so. okay no but okay no wait wait <laughs> don't start perpetuating these i'm getting better i'm even in like an rp with someone that i actually know like they're writing stuff themselves that's like not safe for work and i'm responding okay. i'm getting better <laughs> but it's okay just when you fun. when you actually go back through my merlin fix and read the stuff that i've written or listen to one of my pod fix I will, you know, I will stop mocking you. But it's it's different when it's a podfic because it's your actual voice. It's like you're there, <laughs> and it's just so weird. Like this is why I don't. And Alex has like listened to my podfics and messaged me while he's been re like listening to them, and I'm like, don't do this to me. It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> I just like to torture rocks. That's just my, oh my god, my thing. But getting back to but getting back to your point um i think you're right which is why for example on my ao3 profile um hang on i can actually read this to you what i've what i've got there because um hang on where's my profile so what i have in my in my profile is fandom is a space where anyone can do what they like including creating transformative works off of other people's transformative works without asking or needing permission but if you want to respect my wishes, here is what I prefer. And then I have like, ask me for this, talk to me about that, and I don't care if you do this. So this is how I phrase it, because I have preferences for how people interact with my works when they want to make their own work off of my work. But I respect that basically they can do to my works what I do to the hockey, hockey voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So weird. I respect that people have this right, but I can still have preferences and I can I have a right to make these preferences known yeah. and I can ask people to respect them, but if they don't then I I have to respect that or I have yeah. to accept that because they're doing to me what I do to other people's work just like you described exactly. and look i get you because like you know i like you am you know kind of i like things done a particular way i'm very picky with a lot of fandom re related stuff and i don't like everything i the the few commissions i've actually done i've come back with 500 words of notes on every single thing that i've been given i'm like this isn't quite right could you fix that but like 
you know, I have been asked this before. They're like, oh, what do you guys think about somebody just making art for your fic without asking? And I'm like, look, the deep, like, deepest, darkest, deepest, darkest parts of me that, you know, feel like they want to control my own work you know do get like oh god what if i won't like it what if i have to pretend that i like it what if i really 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 don't like it what if it completely ruins the fic what if it's nothing like what i imagined and everybody will think that this is what i had in my mind but at the end of the day like it's not my right to think that way it's not my right to moan about it or complain about it because they were inspired by something i did they I created mean, their it's own your it's your right you can you can still have feelings about it. You have a right to I have never feelings, voice those feelings about out it, <laughs> and you would be allowed to voice those feelings. But you have to accept that people might ignore your feelings yeah. or be offended by your as feelings, as they should be. And I wouldn't, and I personally would never ever say it to someone that wasn't in a private conversation in DMs. And I would mostly be absolutely exhilarated that somebody was inspired and my problem with being picky is my problem because at the end of the day you know they people have made cover art or you know cello you know you've done a book cover they've done illustrations they've done all sorts of things you know casting for books you know when they've casted actors set design colors etc where the original authors things were changed or things were altered and that is just the way of art and you cannot have your claws around your work like some feral beast because once something is written or drawn and it's put out into the world my opinion and everybody's is different but the way I view it is that it's just as much theirs now as it is mine and I don't get to tell them how they uh, interpret it what they feel about it or how they want to recreate it and if I want the same respect shown to me as a fandom creator for big IPs who I wish would respect it, Star Wars apparently doesn't, um, then I want, <laughs> then I have that obligation to extend that same mentality to people who are like, I like this, I fuck with it, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> like, you know, we make everybody gay. We don't get to have an opinion on what people do to our work. We take, like, quote-unquote straight characters and we make everybody gay. You think they intended for that to happen? They're just staring at us going, the hell's going on over there but you know we do it okay sorry not Raylo. Raylo is like the one superior hair couple that's it <laughs> nobody, else. <laughs> nobody else but yeah it's a conversation that doesn't happen in fandom because people are controlling and nobody wants anyone messing with their with their stuff which is odd considering we mess with stuff for a hobby <laughs> it's like don't be this way please but yeah, um, I, I appreciate it's a thorny topic for quarter to ten in the evening for Alex and quarter to nine at night for myself. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, it's to do with art and it's to do with inspiration and stuff like that. And yeah, nobody wants to say it because nobody wants to be the unpopular guy. But luckily I have no friends, so it's all good. Oh, <laughs> you have us. I, I feel like after this podcast, I don't. But it's no. okay. <laughs> I just think it's important to say what you think and you know again I think everybody should do as their conscience dictates and if someone wants to make money off their art even if I don't agree with it I haven't like I would never go up to them and say I think you shouldn't do this or I think you should do this I think people should do exactly what they think is right and copyright law is evil and capitalism can burn that's basically how I feel about all of it (laughs) all valid points all valid oh I hate that word valid what does that even mean that you're valid. Your feelings are allowed. 
is what it means. That's gonna be the new vowels. That's the thing about the uh, coffee, buy me a coffee, you know, it's thing. Like, it's like, I'm not making yeah. money off my art, I'm making money off my friends. Like, and honestly, that is actually, I think, a really wholesome non-capitalist invention because it's like, yeah, you, you're not linking specific pieces and you're not giving previews or extra material or what what have you. On mm-hmm. Kofi, it is basically just, you know, if you, if, if you like my work overall and you think it, you know, is neat, then you can do this, whatever. And yeah, everybody knows that if that particular author, that particular artist wasn't drawing for Merlin or Star Wars or Haikyuu or MCU, they wouldn't be getting that tip. But <sighs> if you like my work and you like what you see, then smash that like button yeah. and don't forget to follow. <laughs> Check out the Patreon and join our Discord. Yeah, I gotta say the self-promotion is really, really tough. It's, it's, and you're, it's so hard. <laughs> I think it's time we reward ourselves with uh, telling everyone who our favorite Merlin artists are and then maybe getting into some wrecks. Who wants to start? <laughs> Not me. Not you. I was trying to give you a chance to. All right. Well, I'm then fine. I'm going to take the lead. One of my favorite Merlin fan artists is Amphigori. She's top on my list. Aww. Aww. And not just because her name starts with A. And not just because her name starts with A. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I kind of have a list in a lot of these people are from just sort of more my era, but like Gwintastic did the most incredible manips just incredible um i'll be mangroves who has moved on to the mcu fandom and is a gift no matter where she ends up um texas fan doodler god rest in peace um roland's keep um i think it was Amphrid's, was it you and me that were going around and around about the person that we knew that we couldn't remember the name but i think it was obliquio i don't know how to spell it or say it i know how to spell it um it's Coatl, the Obsidian Serpent. She's mostly on Deviant Art these days, but yes, fantastic paintings, just so good. Uh, Yui Ix, traditional paintings, you like? Yeah, traditional artists, just like actual canvas, so good. Um, and I wanted a special shout out to someone who's no longer in the fandom and all has moved on, and I don't even know if she still makes or they make fan art trolleys. Trolleys made the art for Crown on the Summer Court, and is. And the, it was that that made me want to make art for Merlin fandom. Um, just, I just thought it was so cool that it was embedded in the in the fic, and it, it was like art goals. I want to be able to art like that. Whimsy Catcher, who does the most incredible everything. Murloc eighteen, same thing. Lao Pendragon, Mushroom Tail, who's incredible. Uh, and Mary Louise with her hilarious. I love her style, her cartoon comic style. So much fun. Um, and I found a, a a blog on Tumblr that is called Merlin-Art, and they're entirely reposts, but they're reposts of artists who were on Weibo. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. W-E-I-V-O, Weibo, Weibo. Um, so none of them that is ever going to come out, I don't think, on the rest of the interwebs. So they asked the permission of the artists if they can repost it. And so if you're looking for a whole bunch of art from people who are behind the, the great internet wall, 
um, you can follow them. And that they had all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, but that's not a specific artist. That's just a an account to follow. That was on Tumblr. Um, now it's your turn. See, now I'm like, dang, I wish I went first because she listed off 95% of my list. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. You can just add whoever cello missed, including all the cello. <laughs> yes, of course. The one, the only. Alta Cello, holy cow. So good, I have to get her to beta my work. <laughs> How do I shadow? What's light source? Please. Okay, you help me out with motion, and how do, how do I lay this out? It's supposed to look like a comic. How on earth do I do that? Composition. Yeah, great with composition. It's tooting each other's horns here. Yeah. Um, one that I would definitely recommend that was on the list and I always have issues pronouncing, is the hair conjun? Oh, yes, the hair conjun. The hair conjun. The hair conjun. Oh, oh, yeah. Which basically just means Mr. Rabbit. Their comics are amazing. Oh, I forgot them. Their standalone, yeah, their standalones are great as well. Um, again, this is where I wish we had Rollins keep because they probably follow the newer artists, but because all my stuff is like really old, like long gone. That's okay. Like, like Telephone and a Chelsea B. Oh, yeah. Oh. Tindu. What? Who did the little chibis? Uh, Lily Bells. Lily Bells. Oh my god. Those were so good. Um, I don't know if it's Noct or Nocte. It's N-A-C-H-T-E, but um, they were one of the first to do like a, a manga style, um, like long form comic. Yeah. It sadly didn't get finished. It went on hiatus. And it, oh, it, was, it, it was quite, you know, a big undertaking to do a comic for a long form is rough. But yeah, it was a, um, something of crystal and gold. I don't recall what the first bit of it was, but um, they also did a, a baseball AU Take note for the crowd, I think. Um, Shifts in Crystal and Gold, that's what it's called. Great, great one um, from them. Um, which also reminds me that... Is it... Mary Lewis is doing a advent calendar style comic. Comic a day till Christmas right now. Of a, it's on Instagram. Yeah, it's on Instagram called Destiny with a Dash of Magic. And it's really good. It's really good so far. By the time this comes out, uh, it'll be finished. So all you listeners will be lucky that you don't have to wait the next day to see how this is going to go. <laughs> um, yes, that's the, my favorite. My, some of my favorite artists there. Oh, Barbatone. Yes. Um, I don't know if this counts as artist, but uh, the Dear Dollophead series. I love the Dear Dollophead series. See, all these things I forgot. See, this is why there's two of us. <laughs> and R Rennie, Rennie M. Yes! I have to give a special shout out to because, boy, man, you see that dragon everywhere now. Yes. Like, the Camelot dragon stencil that everybody right. uses yeah. did not exist if it were not for Rennie because back then there was no image of it. And she went through and uh, vector traced it, yeah, and got it. So and and that's the one that everybody uses now. Yeah, everybody. So thank you, Renee. Renee. <laughs> yes, and all her dragon art, and and she's a another yes. traditional artist. She works a lot in gouache. Really, really amazing stuff. 
totally um on a remix she did uh she remixed one of my pieces in a uh, uh, like an ink blot not, not ink blot um a woodcut a woodcut uh press oh. like a oh it's like she carved she carved she literally bled for <laughs> oh my wow God. it was amazing and the, you know you run it through ink and then you run the paper over it and it's like yeah yeah and then there, and there's so many more that we don't necessarily know all that well there's a lot of people out there that that that, well, that was That's why okay. I, I wanted yeah. to mention and the Merlin art one because there's all kinds of artists that are, exist in other places in the world that we can't see so easily and they're 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 doing amazing things too yeah like new ones that have popped up on my tumblr in the past month here nancy merther's lover does really good stuff i don't know how to pronounce this one it's it's 10 k-i-a-o-i so it's 10 k-i-o-a either way it's really good um they, they do um they mix their art up with blender the 3d animation so they actually got some really cool like like moving art basically it's really good. I'll, I'll link you some yeah just send, send me comments send me see. yeah send me send me the list so i can put it on on the post yes and uh this one gears in wonderland which is g-y-r-h-s does some hilarious like fantastically done like great technique but also just hilarious um like memes <laughs> but they're like drawn out like i don't know if you remember for a while back there there was the the body pillow meme where it's like ah yes me my husband the king and his six-foot manservant <laughs> and they're all like in bed but it's just gwen like staring at the camera like, <laughs> Ah uh, yes. <laughs> it started out with as an actual photo. Um, the meme was like, "Ah oh, yes, me, my husband, and his like six foot body pillow of some anime character." I don't remember what it was. It's it was one of my really favorite art memes. Like I like it's even gone over to my fandom too, and it has been done for every ship you could yeah. ever imagine it's wonderful it is so like i love it when something like that goes viral it just really makes my day yes and they have another one of um they, they just ripped on monty python where like merlin's copping the coconuts together and arthur's doing like the, the riding pose <laughs> it's like just great humor and great technique from this gears in wonderland new artist Wonderful. new i mean six months ago like i found this <laughs> you know Jeez. new to me okay I'm i just love that that like merlin has ended eight years ago but it's still one of tumblr's main ships like it yeah. was in the top 50 it was like number 42 of the, the tumblr 2020 reviews yeah. year in review still going strong yeah still going strong yeah i'm gonna add a few names there is lago pendragon there is uh gj fangirls there's marmolas which I think was mentioned by Brolin's keyboard we originally uh, recorded this episode. There is 16th of a Twig, who did a whole oh, series yeah, of morning pictures, um, like modern AU uh, morning pictures. I have all of them on my wall. Uh, there is, or was, I don't know how active she still is, uh, Iviko. Then, right, yeah. yep. then there's Who the Buck Draws, who does a lot of uh, Murrawain. Uh, art. There is Moss, who does a lot of Purwain art, I think, if I remember correctly. And then there is, of course, Sweetheart, 
Yes. And Marmoladika, who also did some amazing stuff. What I find kind of interesting is that when Merlin was on air, I've noticed that a lot of, we had a big section of the fandom of fan artists that were out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really tricky to get some of their stuff sometimes because you had to go to like Russia Live Journal. <laughs> but before Live Journal was Russia Live Journal, there was a special Russia Live Journal. And it was just called like diary.ru. Anyways, um, I've noticed now, post, you know, the show being, you know, live, it's it's a lot of Chinese artists now. Yeah. And not so much Russians. And I was like, this, it's really neat that you have to go digging for some of these stuff, but it's gold when you find yeah. it. So let's, Brooks, do you have anyone to add? Uh, no, I don't have anybody else to add uh, because most of the people that I would have known of uh, are already mentioned and present. <laughs> and I wasn't particularly good at like paying attention to usernames back in the day, which was when I was most active in fandom anyway. Um, and I still am not. So I probably like, yeah, I, I, I like that piece of art. Um, can't tell you who made it, but <laughs> I like it. So... <laughs> I'm a bit of a, I mean, okay. Alex, you know, I don't really pay attention to things, do I? So, <laughs> but I appreciate that's, everything that's I fair. look at, apart from the things I don't. I have that issue with, with writers. Yeah. Like, I I read the fix, but I don't remember who wrote them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. So I want to write literally any piece of art that any artist has ever made for me, commissioned or not. I will put the links to the art posts um, uh, in the in our post. Uh, on our website uh, they're all illustrations for my fakes just so you're aware then i want to mention a uh, piece called kiss under the stars which was made by my friend sarah bochan it is um she wrote a author returns fig and she drew this piece of art for it and it's just i think it's very beautiful there's like a vast starlit sky above merlin and author work literally kissing under the stars and it's just they're surrounded by fireflies and it's just a very sweet scene i think and it looks very magical and lovely and romantic that's uh i think it's very beautiful then there's this hockey au which is told through instagram posts which was made by daughter of thanos and this is very relevant to my interests, even now. <laughs> it's fake Instagram accounts for Arthur Merlin, Gwen, Percival, Liam, Lancelot, Gwen, and Morgana. And that comprises the entire AU. They're all part in some way of this hockey team. Then um, there's a Potvik cover I want to recommend. It's uh, a cover by Anna Potts for a Potvik that I recorded. The story is called Screen Control Your Motherboard. And she took a picture of Colin from the play Gloria and made him look like he has computer problems uh, because that's what this story is about. Colin has computer problems at work. Or not Colin, Merlin. <laughs> Merlin has computer problems at work. Then there are two wor- uh, works by Little Script that I want to mention. And hang on, I need just to load them just to remind myself all right that's that one and then that's the other one so one of them is uh one of my favorite marlin author pieces ever i still like it even though i'm not into the ship anymore but i still like this piece of art uh a lot i use it as my wallpaper on my phones for ages and i know i've recommended it before but it's them in bed together author 
is spooling, uh, is spooning Merlin and you're looking at their faces as they're lying on their sides and there's a lot of tender finger touching and holding each other close and I, I really like this very soft scene and then the other one is by the same artist and it's Merlin and Arthur looking in different directions and there's a burst of red watercolor separating them and it looks very dramatic and there's even the the dragon which I'm sure is the silhouette by uh Remy uh used here and it just it's very dramatic I think I like it and then there's a series called Merlin Through the Ages by Mamalas. It's basically a series of portraits in which Merlin wears fashion of different eras and they all hang in a museum and they're super well done manips, I think. So just to give the idea that Merlin has been painted through the ages by different artists. And if you go through a museum, just probably like the doctor from Doctor Who, uh, you would see him in different paintings and in different eras and always the same face. These are my recs. I don't have I any think specific I'm, I'm, Okay, you don't have any specific ones. Mm -hmm. Amph, do you have any specific ones? Uh, <laughs> you don't have to wow, say that sorry, you, do, brain if you don't. If you don't have any, you don't have to lie. It's okay. I know it's just what it was is I went into Zoom mode where like at work when they call on me, I actually just put my headphones down and unmuted on my headphone microphone instead of my podcasting microphone. <laughs> I was like, oh wait, no, I'm actually live on this mic. I've been hot micing this whole time. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how that didn't get me in any trouble. Um I have lots of individual wrecks, but I'll give you the links to them because there is a lot to go through here, but that comes from artists like Lizard Spots and Timus and Tindu, Steampot, Cerulean. Uh, I would also like to mention about where to find art. Um, my Tumblr is basically an art wreck Tumblr. Like that's basically, I just re reblog Merlin fan art. <laughs> there, there's a bit there in, in that one December where the purge happened, where it was I just unloaded my my uh, likes. So there's just a bunch of like art reference stuff going through there. Just ignore that. <laughs> but yeah, there's just a lot, and I also have a couple other um, um, spots like that used to exist in Live Journal, where there's a lot of like art recommendations. Um, a lot, like I said, a lot of the ones that I picked, I specifically went for like some of the old, old artists from like 2010. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so that we can bring back some of those old, yeah. really hard to find, right? Because I mean, a lot of stuff is gone forever. Yeah. Which is a shame. So I'm trying to bring some of that, some of that back. That's a good idea. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. So please listeners check the, 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 the show notes. Yeah. Where yeah. all these links are going to be. Yes. And enjoy. Yes. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. All right. Uh, please tell us where all we can find you. Why don't you star cello? Oh, okay. Well, I'm pretty consistent. You can find me as Alto Cello in most places. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Tumblr. My art blog on Tumblr is under Art O Cello. That's my side blog. Um, 
I'm on DeviantArt, I'm on Pillowfort, and LiveJournal, and DreamWidth, and Instagram, Instagram, and I have a Twitch, which is AutoCello23, but I don't stream as much. I had been streaming for a little bit, but I haven't done that as much, and I'm sure I'm forgetting more. But basically, if you'd like to find me, and you're not sure if I'm on a platform, just look for AutoCello, and if I'm there, that's what I'll be. Awesome. Amph? I'm in the same boat, where it's Amphigory for pretty much everything, uh, except for Tumblr, where it's Amphigory-Art, because I guess I came just a little late to that party. <laughs> um, yeah, Twitch. I'm not on Instagram. And yes, I think it's easier to say what I'm not on. <laughs> no TikTok. Oh, and yeah, I'm not on TikTok either. <laughs> yeah, just wait for fandom to start moving to TikTok, please. Here we go. If that happens, I um, But yeah, the uh, um, DeviantArt and LiveJournal and Twitter, although my Twitter is like private because I post about real life stuff on there so okay. you have to send a friend request and... right uh, yeah that, that's it okay Fox I am Miss No Fox on Twitter Instagram YouTube and AO3 uh, I am Miss No Fox on Tumblr but I mean I wouldn't bother um, and yeah that's pretty much everything like like uh continuously said in this episode i'm mostly haikyuu now um but i mean if you ever want to talk to me about merlin i run a podcast so clearly i don't mind talking about merlin so come talk to me about whatever you want. <laughs> oh i forgot to mention ao3 i totally spaced that yes ao3, AO3 yeah. yeah i i oh always because yes. it doesn't feel like a social media so i'm like oh yeah and and i'm miss no fox on ao3 which is you know kind of one of my main fandom inputs into haikyuu these days because i don't run a podcast and i you know don't get to vid that much so yeah every three but yeah go ahead if you like volleyball and you like anime if you like merlin go too but there's not much there for you so okay you can find or request fan work fan work rex from me on that's what momotestic likes on tumblr and you can also find resources on how to create fan works on creative abyssa i will put that in the thingy on our website so you don't have to remember how to spell that and our theme music was composed by sidesteppings exclusively for melissa and all other music and sound effects come from freesound.org the man up on our cover was made by brolin's keep who unfortunately couldn't join us for this episode and the cover was made by me next time we will talk about problematic tropes and themes on merlin which is going to be a fun ranty episode i am sure Maybe we'll find some guests for that. Maybe it will just be Rox and me. Who knows? Nobody knows anything in these pandemic-ridden times anymore. And with that, I think uh, we should say goodbye. So thank you to our guests, Amphigori and Alto Cello, for joining us for this episode again. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having yeah. us. Thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. And yeah. We'll we'll talk to all listeners in about four weeks. Until then, I am Zancredible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. Goodbye everyone. Bye. <laughs> Wear your mask. Over your Wait. nose. <laughs> it goes over the nose. Bye guys. <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs>